Hello, this is Nate Clark of Nate Clark Knives. Thank you for tuning in to Bladeology Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Bladeology podcast. We are on this week with episode 42, and uh, it's it's going to be a good one. We've got a guest on. This is the vocal representation of Jeremiah Burbank from PVK Vegas. Nick Chuprin of NCC Knives. And we're on with Brian Beagler of Beagler Blade Works. Brian, how you doing tonight? Hey, guys. How you doing? Good, good. Good. Uh, I'm psyched uh, you could take some time and and jump on with us, talk about talk about knives. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so how did um how did we get here? What uh what brought us to this moment in this reality? How did how did you get into knives and knife making? So I started knife making for me started uh, out of a martial arts base, right? So uh, I was in. Uh, Filipino martial art, Pikitito Shikali, to be specific. And I had this training partner for a long time, uh, a guy named Ken Nishikawa. And we've been training for a while, years together. And Ken was an artist by trade. He he works with ad firms and does uh, some pretty high-end uh, art stuff for advertising firms. And, you know, and the way that Ken could express his outside of, he was kind of my, uh, teach, I would call my teacher, I guess. Uh, he, the way he could express his art and, and, and then also make it connect with blades was he started designing his own knives and he was having them made by, uh, by a custom knife maker in Georgia at the time. This is uh 2000, this uh, 2004, 2005. And he'd been doing this, for 2000 kind of like one two three four five and really how it started is i, I was like the well, way that's really cool i've been training for a long time and and the idea was was this essentially that if you were doing filipino martial arts there was there wasn't a lot of stuff out there for a guy who was ready to say okay i want to i want blades that work for the martial art that i'm doing if you compared it back in those days to uh what was available for like japanese stylists um, meaning, uh, kind of the Bugay Trading Company kind of stuff, and you could buy all kinds of katana and whatnot for for Iaido and stuff like this. And there wasn't a lot out there except for Chris Cutlery, I believe, um, for Filipino enthusiasts. So Ken started designing his own stuff, and the only way he could have his his kind of concepts realized into real life was to have somebody make them. And so he's having this dude make them in Georgia. Okay. So we're training and I hit this point in my life, which was when I, I started this master's program in biomedical science stuff, medical biology. And it just so happens that I had the way that the courses went over the course of these three or four semesters. Um, I ended up with enough free time on my hand because of the way they, the courses stacked. Uh, and I was interested in getting some done and I had like one or two customs made by this guy. And then I, I kind of got a set from the, uh, a spotty dog, a set from the guy. And I was like, well, these aren't really great. You know, I, I like to make stuff. So uh, I was 
like screw it i'm gonna i'm gonna try and do it myself that's really the gist of it <laughs> and that's how we started which is a, a bit of a funny start um but i i, I don't know it's it just where my head was at the time so he had a bunch of designs he was having made and i knew he was buying uh, a couple customs a month at the time okay this is a flashback of that time period so he's buying a couple customs a month at this time uh fixed blades and and so i went to lowe's and got a a hundred dollar delta one by 42 grinder and a delta uh hundred dollar drill press and uh like an angle grinder and a chop saw and a bunch of sandpaper and then I just literally got on, got on the internet. This is back in the days before, you know, before Facebook, of course. And uh, I got on the forums, like, I don't know, one blade forums was one of the other ones that Jerry Hossum moderated the new knife maker uh, room. And, and so I started kind of just flying through all the, the forum boards, trying to figure out how to make a, a knife, basically. And, uh, and then just kind of dove right into it. And I, and I remember the first day, you know, I told Ken, I was like, I, I, you're buying all these knives and, and you have cool designs. I want to try and make these. So that, that for, I can tell you that first month, uh, I, I found a, at the time I was living in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, and I found a, a sh- an auto shop that was selling 51, six, they were doing I don't know, some kind of leaf string work or whatever. And I got some 5160. I'll never forget this. I got some 5160 from that shop because I saw on the forums that 5160 was a knife steel you could use. And I got it from that shop and then cut it up and just essentially just threw it on that one by 42 grinder and started trying to make a knife. It was, I mean, it was really just by this seat of my pants at that point. And that's how it started. Wow. All right. So, I mean, you really, you just kind of, you just kind of went for it. I totally went for it, and uh, and went for it hard. I, I I really enjoyed it, and I was the way the 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 thing I had at the time was was time, and so I because I was at the tail end of this master's program thing, and so I was financially supported enough to where I could handle whatever the course load stuff was. Within six months, I was essentially had a grinder, a drill press, and then I even figured out how to construct a uh, a backyard kind of forge made out of a turkey fryer pot and uh, refractory cement that I jetted air into it with uh, with hair dryers, and I even heat treated my own stuff there because it was all the tool skill. Uh, in the backyard and it was really a funny experience and and then we we'd we'd uh we'd try and do the heat treat there and of course it was just kind of chaos and then every time we'd you know i was quenching in transmission oil i think at the time and and then we'd it started massive fire and then we'd kind of throw dirt on it <laughs> i swear to god i've got pictures of this and then every time i would actually do a heat treat we'd uh we'd cook uh, we'd, we'd kind of grill uh like beer butt chickens or sure. something like okay. that yeah. yeah it was really fun and I, I was literally heat treating my first blades with uh with sticks and I don't know, wood from the that I picked up off the ground in the backyard of this this rent house I was living with in Fort Worth, Texas, of all places, um, and that's really how the beginnings of it. And and I I can't believe that 
it's led us to this podcast. <laughs> so, so you're saying. so you're heat treating blades, but essentially you're cooking dinner as well. It's it's both, a dual, yeah. dual purpose. Well, I figured if I was going to make do all that work, I might as well get some food out of it. Right? Sure. Hey, I don't I don't blame you. I feel every knife maker's done that at one point. I was trying <laughs> when I first got my heat treat oven. I was like, well, what happens to a steak at two thousand degrees? <laughs> You got get a it? great you get a great sear, right? Wow. So I so I okay, I didn't know that. So you, you were doing a master's program. So you have your master's degree, yeah? Actually a good PhD now. But. Wow. Okay. All right. Okay. So you're a knife maker. Does any of that school knowledge come into play in your knife making career? <laughs> Absolutely at all? none of it. None okay, of it. good. Okay. That's a former. I have a lot of former lives. Uh, it, it, this, in this podcast, I don't know how many hours we have, but I could tell you about three or four former lives. I've done. I've, I've kind of a jack of all trades. I've bounced around quite a bit. Okay. All right. Um, that's the start of the knife make. That's really right, where that's, it originated, right there. That's the knife making. Okay, so the knife making is born out of. And I know that you still, because I, I follow you on Instagram, I've talked to you about this before, but you still actively train. I mean, you were you were yeah, saying you were at the gym earlier. I figured you're you're doing martial arts. Yeah, that's the cool thing. Uh, my uh, I've got this this uh, shop here in Dallas, and it's a it's about a seven thousand square foot building, and uh, I'd say solidly a half of it is storage uh, for classic cars, and and we've got lifts and we've got cars in here. And then my knife shop occupies, uh, you know, like a quarter of it, and then a quarter of it's a gym, and then a quarter of it is a we have an off like it's this is my dad's office, and he's he he's retired, uh, he's seventy five, but he still does you know a little bit of his old job in the energy energy industry. So we got a really great facility here. So I literally have a shop full of muscle cars, knife shop, and uh, Muay Thai gym. That's, oh, so the gym is in the same facility. It's. <laughs> I Dude, literally, I come right off the the knife shop and walk through the door, and I coach guys within three minutes. I mean, I literally stroll stroll right in, and I'm on the floor with wow. fighters. Yeah, yeah, it's a really cool scene. Honestly. Okay, all right. So you're, so I mean, you're not. I have a feeling that this is an underlying thing with your previous lives, but I mean, so you're handling, yeah. like. Would you consider yourself a full-time knife maker? Is that... Oh, 100 like? 100%, 100%, 100%. So you're full-time knife making. 100%. You're teaching yeah. Muay Thai. Yeah, I teach Muay... The, the gym time I spend in the week is uh, about, uh, I'd say, 10 hours of coaching a week. Wow, okay. I, I run full-time on the floor, holding pads and coaching fighters uh, in about four maybe five and and that's my teaching um, my personal workouts too included you got mm. like 10 to 10 to 12, 12 hours of that that's the stuff i've been doing uh for a long time uh, like 28 years now i guess uh i just was lucky enough to be able to wrap all the things that i'm really passionate about into one life and then one space you know it's Damn. great you so know, okay, so a, you're 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 saying fighters. So I'm assuming these are not beginners. These are like oh no, I take beginners too, of course. But I oh, mean, okay. I have everyone from pro to beginner. Um, okay. I mean, wow. like today, I'm teaching a guy that I just started six months ago, and and I had him on the floor with a guy that I've coached in pro fights. So it's, it's, that's normal for a gym, for a fight gym. Okay. Wow. And so this is all the same discipline, or you? This is like. Mixed? It's not. It's not the same discipline. No, the the knife stuff is uh, not related to. I I do a couple different martial arts, um, but right now I only coach uh, that one. Gotcha. Okay. And then later in the podcast, we can talk about the whole Thailand segment of it and all that stuff. But yeah, it's it's Thai boxing. 
Thai boxing. Okay. All right. Wow. Okay. So we went back and forth a little bit, and then mm-hmm. uh, so we've got the knife shop, we've got the gym, <coughs> and then we've yep. got a classic muscle car. Uh, it's just that that yeah, yeah it, that that's just a, a a kind of a. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a just a passion between. It's a family thing. Uh, my one of my uncles is kind of a big gearhead, and uh, then my dad kind of got into it too. To you know, to do stuff with his brother, and I've always been into classic cars, and and so we have a kind of a decent amount of. I mean, or actually, a really good amount of classic cars as well. Wow. Okay. So, but is it? It's not a, like. Um, I mean, not running like a hot rod shop. So if it's no, no, just, we're not built. We're personal... not building them. Instead, no. Okay. Okay. No, no, God, I couldn't do both. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say if you're handling three of those businesses at the same time, like that's... I'm handling two businesses, I would like to branch out into doing something involving classic cars in the future. Um, but but I'm that's a really well covered industry, and I you know I have the because I have the means to do it. It would be interesting to to look into it. But hmm. you know, all right, there's all a lot right. of guys to do that stuff. Yeah, I think about that all the time. Just because you can doesn't mean you shouldn't. I mean, it doesn't mean you should. <laughs> it's a really, I can tell you, it seems like that industry is, I don't want to say booming, but man, uh, if you ever have a car and you're trying to get it worked on, all the shops say they're just blasted out with, with business. So, yeah, I mean, it's just where they are in that industry right now. It's, it's kind of crazy that it's doing so well. That's far out. I got that a car is... I'm trying to get into a shop right now, and you know, it's a four or five month waiting list. So wait, what's what's your daily driver in Texas? What are you driving? Um, my daily driver, if, not that I have to drive that much because I'm all self-contained here, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think it's I don't even remember. I think it's an 06 Honda, oh, right? and it's right. like I drive I that about. Okay. No, no. Well, <laughs> I drive that about once a week, and when I when I go out after five or six or seven o'clock it's always a right now it's a 70 chevelle that's ls swapped oh, okay so there we go okay all right chevelle's are legit okay no i got yeah. a, a 70 shell is chevelle it's ls swapped because my personal uh car from the old days is a 64 riviera but it's kind of been turned into a show car so i don't drive it and then uh but the next car is a 69 camaro so. fancy guy all right Okay, that makes yeah. sense. After after the sun goes down, the dance shoes come on. The Chevelle comes right. out, yeah, and then I'm just racing around. So do you guys share those vehicles, or like you guys just share the space and have your own vehicles? Oh, no, it's it's my dad and my uncle, so I drive any of them I want. Honestly. There you go. Mm-hmm. I really, at some point in my life, I'd like to build a '67 Mustang. Yeah, yeah, that'd point. be nice. I wish the 66 had a similar body, but unfortunately, it doesn't. I could could talk about cars all day, for sure. (laughs) For sure. We have a lot of cars in this family. Damn. All right, so at what point, let's, all right, so then we'll we'll dial it back a little. So you're heat treating and setting fires in the the back. In the the backyard, yeah. You're making beer chicken. How did, That's right. The, where's the transition from there to where we are now? How did it? How did it get? This is a very long story. <laughs> how did the chicken get from the yeah. fire to yeah. the oven? How did the chicken get there? What? This what was the? This is a very long story. Well, we're gonna drift it, a little bit. We're gonna have to drift out a knife sure. to get through this. It's so, never. It's never straight. Uh, yeah, for sure. So uh, I'm in Fort Worth, Texas, and things did not work out uh, after that master's program. Uh, thing with me continuing to be at this university and and 
this is going to sound crazy. They had a, they had posted a thing on the, in the university, uh, I don't know, website or newspaper or whatever. They said, we're doing a, uh, we're doing a full student transfer operation with a university called Narisuan University in Pisanolok, Thailand, in the middle of Thailand. And so things were, weren't, let's just say they weren't working out for me. I mean, I completed the master's and I did well, but I was like, I, the long story, I ended up coming to the, to the guys and said, hey, you guys are doing this transfer. Uh, I'd like to complete the transfer. I, you said you were going to take Thai students and you're going to send us over. It says, I'll do, I'll go over to Thailand. And they looked at me like, what the fuck? <laughs> they looked at me like, no way. There's nobody that actually is serious about this. And and it turned out to be kind of a complete sham. Um, they were just doing it for the money. And, uh, and the, the end of the, I mean, the head of the, this whole operation looks at me and he says, uh, well, here's the phone number of our contact in Pitsanolok, Thailand. So they essentially left me, I don't know, kind of no option. They're just like, call this guy. And so, <laughs> so here you go. So without going into the details, all that, uh, I, it was like the 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 world I I'd wanted to expat for a long time and move over, so they I go over there to check out uh, the Narisuan University in Pitsanolok, and it's in the middle, it's smack in the middle of Thailand. It'd be like going to university in Waco, Texas, of Thailand. It's smack in the middle of the the rice growing Central Plains. It's covered in mosquitoes, and and I didn't speak Thai at the time. And there was no English anywhere, and I couldn't get a house, you know, and I couldn't find a, you know, I couldn't go to like 24 hour fitness or anything like that. But I did, I flew over there, landed at the airport, I got picked up, brought to the university, and I stayed in that town for a week or so. And it's probably the last, actually, it's the last time I've ever been to that town. And, um, and we talked about it, and I looked around at their uh, facilities and stuff. And as I had already, a little backtracking, before even this part of the conversation, I'd already had a job at a Baylor Institute of Immunology Research as, as, as a tech. And then I had a job at UT Southwestern, which is this massive research university and med school here in Dallas, Texas. Um, for, and I did some solid research and actually I'd already published a paper in a U.S. journal about uh, multiple sclerosis as it relates to T-cell immunology. So, I get there and I'm looking around at the stuff and I'm like, there's no, there's no way I can do research. So I'm getting there. I got no help from the, I cut my ties with the university of Fort Worth and vowed never to go back again uh, to, to that town. Cause I hated it, but I'm sitting in Thailand in, in Bangkok at this time. And I'm like, well, shit, if, if they can, you know, try and if, the, if they were really, there's really no structure to this transfer of students. I'm like, screw it. I'll just do it myself. And so I um, contacted uh, the biggest uh, medical research science and med school university in Bangkok. Called, it was called Mahidol. And, and then I, the other one was, university, uh, was Chiang Mai University up in the north. And then I literally just sat in Bangkok, tried out Mahidol, and then they never contacted me back. So I flew up to Chiang Mai, and I flew up to Chiang Mai, and just I called them, and because you can't do anything in Thailand, at the, especially this time. This is uh, 2005, I guess. Uh, you can't do anything by email. You know, it's not like we email back and forth. 
I had to fly up there and called them, and they said, sure, come by. And I went and talked to them. They said, yeah, yeah, we, we'd love to have an international student in the science department. And basically, at the, at the end of this, they, they, they treated me more like a human than I've ever been treated in any university I've ever been in. They were like, yeah, you know, we'd love to have you. Um, and that's kind of how I ended up there. And I went on an interview and talked to them about it, and they said, yes, we'll accept you in the PhD program. And I, I, got, to, I got to lay out the terms, uh, meaning – I had already taken all the, the coursework for a PhD in the United States because I did it at the, the university and the med school in Fort Worth. So I said, look, I don't want to do the coursework. I'll just, I just want to do the thesis and the, and, and, and the, and the PhD finally and fine publish again. And they said, yeah, sure. Great. You'll be, and I believe I'm the first one who's ever done it at the university in sciences. So, uh, damn, that's how I ended up in Chiang Mai. And so that was 2006. Hmm. So I moved to Thailand in 2006. So you moved there like you went there, you figured this out, and then you got yourself situated? <laughs> How long were you in Thailand for? <laughs> the the moving there part was cool because in that entire story I just told you where I went to Thailand and and, and looked at all these universities, it took about a month or so. And uh, my, my girlfriend at the time who became my wife, who you've met uh, – before she yeah yeah she was back in in texas and then i i I sent her a ticket and she flew over um this is a funny story actually if this isn't the world telling you what to do i don't know what is she flew over okay and we're in this rent house right it's this little like 1940s tract house in fort worth texas that was built you know around world war ii um you know just a little 800 dollars rent house right um while we were gone the the fitting on the it was a two bedroom one bath the fitting on the back of the toilet uh pvc fitting on the back of the toilet uh cracked and ruptured completely and so the high pressure line that goes into the toilet started spewing water and it spewed water for 28 days in july in texas <laughs> with all the air off this is a funny story so I go over there and do everything I just told you I was doing. And then we're like, okay, we got to go back to Texas and sort it out. We're going to, you know, we're going to pack up all our shit and I, I, and we're going to move. I'm moving to Thailand. I, I told her that before, before we even met, I said, I, I think I'm going to move to Thailand. So <laughs> we get back to Texas and because I had sent her a ticket and it was a different uh, flight. Um, she got back about, I don't know, six hours before me, eight hours oh, before boy. me. Can't remember. And then I get back to the States, right? And uh, I turn on my phone and I just got like, my phone is just <laughs> blown up, right? And when she got to the house, like she couldn't open the door, okay? And uh, it's an old pier and beam rent house, right? The, the, the floorboards had curled up so much that water had been running for 28 days and the whole house was fucking destroyed. <laughs> there was mold there was mold up to the top of the like crawled all the way up the walls all the way to the top of the ceiling every sofa you know obviously all my furniture anything that was even natural materials wood or anything was covered in mold and it was so she said the the rug the the rug looked like a like a polar bear rug you know mold and so i got there you, you imagine you come back you imagine you come back from this long trip yeah I just want to like, uh, relax. Like. Yeah, yeah, I just want to go. I'm just going to finally sleep in my own bed, unpack my suitcase. And then uh, I get home and like we immediately had to go stay in like a Motel 6. And 
and then start cleaning out everything. And I was like, if this doesn't, if this isn't the universe saying, Hey Brian, this you somehow ended up on the right path. Uh, I literally just threw everything I owned down on the fucking front lawn. And, and at the end of all this whole story, I packed up two suitcases and she did as well. You know, your maximum for international travel, which I think is a hundred pounds, two 50 pound suitcases. And that was everything that I ever, everything else I just got rid of. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, and I yeah. left the country, left the country in 2006 with two suitcases. And that's travel the, start of, light, the start of that journey. Wow. Everything else was ruined. Yeah. Screw everything, it. every sofa, everything I had amassed, you know, except for a couple swords. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Did you take I swords every time to do that? Yeah. yeah. I stored them so I gave them to a friend to hold for me until wow. I got back to the states. I mean, sometimes it just works out, and it's crazy, yeah, man. It's know, crazy how that worked out. That's it. it. Is. And that started that adventure. So uh, we can we can we can go further and delve into the tie the Thailand trip a bit, but. As far as knife making goes, I, I, I lived there and did a lot of great stuff. And there's a whole lot of, there's an immense amount of stories from that. But uh, as far as it relates to knife making, then I would return to the United States once a year about uh, Christmas time to see my mom at Christmas. And so I would stay for six weeks to a month in the United States. And then I would come back here to Texas. And uh, I had set up. A knife shop, a temporary knife shop at my father's ranch, which was about an hour and a half south of Dallas. And then I would come back here and like crank out some knives. And just crazy enough, I was able to kind of keep the knife making going while living overseas. I would come here and stay and then crank out enough knives that really paid for the trip back to the States and then go back to Thailand and come back and do it again. Hmm. Okay. So now. At at that time when you were when you were doing this um, sort of regiment, who okay so who were the knives that were all orders or they were to dealers or <clears throat> all right so, um, at in those days it was no 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 dealers at all it was just through martial arts contacts so okay. back in those days I was just making fixed blades and it was just through um, at that time I ha- I have a network of people that I that I knew through the martial art I was doing. Um, and I was producing blades that were good for those guys. I mean, it worked for that martial art, but going back to what I said earlier, there was, there was no more, there was other than Chris Cutlery kind of, you know, and maybe Jerry Hossum, there wasn't guys making a lot of knives that were really pointed at Filipino stylists, uh, in martial arts at the time. If you, if you were a Japanese stylist, then there's tons of stuff you can get in swords and whatnot. Um, and so it was just kind of word of mouth um, through people in the organization. And, and then around those years, I was kind of tapped into uh, the Pekita Tertia Global Organization and this and that. But without going into you know, knowing what that is, it just means it's uh, it's a martial arts organization that had teachers, uh, gurus or whatever you want to call them all over the United States and in even some in overseas and uh, they started to figure out that I was making cool stuff, and it was just selling enough. I mean, I, I could I could make and sell enough knives to pay for my trip back to the United States before I went back to Thailand, because I couldn't make knives in Thailand. Uh, one, I couldn't get the equipment over. Two, it's actually illegal on the visa. You could, you're not supposed to make knives. If, anyway, it's a visa thing. But that, carry, that carried it through all those years, and, and not only did it carry it, it actually grew which is pretty cool. So. 
So just hyper special. I mean, like anytime you're catering yeah. to like something like that, yeah, I can see that totally being word of mouth, like no problem. I mean, if there's nobody else doing it. You're the guy. That's it. It works not only because of that, it's because I had been doing it for a long time. And so I had, I guess you want to call it seniority in the organization, although I'm not officially ranked. You know, it's it's not like a uh, formal structure or anything. I just, I, I've been doing it for a long time. And so I knew the right guys to know. And I was on the level of everyone's teacher. So all I have to, if the instructors are your contemporaries, then they're like, wow, your knives are perfect for what we do. And, and this really actually brings us to the next topic is that my, the whole thrust of the knife making that I was doing was that, uh, there wasn't anybody in that was a practitioner first and a maker second. Um, meaning I knew exactly, and this also comes from my, my, uh, my friend Ken, who was, who was my, you know, training partner and teacher and also a great knife designer, honestly. Um, we both understood how the knife should be balanced and how it should be used in the terms of the martial art. And that's a great advantage to if a guy who was just a knife maker and he hasn't been training for, you know, 12, probably 15 years at that time to understand how the blades should be used in, in, in the use of in Paquito and Kali. So I had an inside you know, it was like a guy who did it and then started making knives as, as averse to a guy who just supplied knives to guys who did it. And so uh, I, everybody loved what I was making. Basically <laughs> the knives are balanced. I'm a real freak about knife balance and then kind of uh, all the other stuff. We can go, you know, the details of how they should hmm. be used. So, okay. So what portion of your current knife making still involves any of these fixed blades that you used to do oh, percentage um probably about 30 40 percent of it oh okay so i mean it's still definitely it's still definitely a thing that you're, oh, that you're fully doing okay yeah yeah right. yeah. i do like once in a while it goes some battle songs and it's like oh i made these swords i'm like oh yeah still make swords yeah 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 still make swords yeah um yeah we'll get to the belly songs i guess in a bit but that's how it, it carried along for all the years I lived overseas. Uh, I carried along just doing that. Uh, and that was all ended up being in the barn at the ranch. And I made a whole lot of knives there. So I, at that time, I had upgraded from the backyard forge, obviously, to a, you know, a KMG grinder and a real you know, even heat treat oven. And you know, I had a little better tools, not much, but at least I had a good grinder and a good oven. Um, and then I was just still pounding them out, grinding them every single knife hey you know figured out how to do a little cad just for water jet which helped a lot uh then i could pound them out and i mean i hand ground tons of fixed blades and uh they all sold uh once i got a really good connection with a guy who was like the head of the system um we kind of collaborated uh you know i said i went to the head of the basically the whole head of the whole system i said hey what would you uh want in a in a fixed blade knife a concealed carry fixed blade knife you know give me your laundry list and he said uh you know four inch four and a half inch at most um and that was about it really honestly and then i threw some designs at him and he was like okay i don't like that i don't like that and then i started drawing and i made about four or five prototypes 
uh, and you know we kind of tweak the dimensions and stuff and this is all real technical as, as for this system how it fits in your hand it's got to be multi-grip um you know in and Kali they say you know like sock sock and bacall and all that um and all the contact points in your hand got to be right and the knife was like honestly a hit it I, I've sold I've sold a lot a, a lot of them honestly and and it's always to guys within the the call the organization so that was my angle honestly okay that sounds like an excellent yeah that that's that's probably the way to do it I, I would imagine it's like it's like it's like it's almost vertically integrated you know what I mean yeah. organization like I I was in the organization I started making knives and then we kind of said what do we need for knives and if once kind of they had a guy internal the organization and then i knew we used to have these big instructor conferences in dallas there were 65 instructors from all over the united states so once you got them on board then you know you see what i mean it, it was vertically integrated and it's not it was a good product too i mean it's a it was a knife that fit every everybody's needs you know? hmm. so you're 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 going between collie the the term the terminology I'm a little interested in if it's if sure. it's if it's possible sure. to describe to us who I don't know anything about martial arts okay. uh I mean not I know that it exists uh, <laughs> but I do not know the sure. the the ins and outs of the of the differentiation between one and the other so all right so Kali is Kali, yeah go go for it that's the that's the martial arts of the Philippines so uh, in the Philippines the uh, Philippines and Indonesia martial arts systems are based on weapons and so the 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 fundamental tool of martial arts in the philippines and indonesia is a blade is a knife or a kind of a for lack of a better term just to say machete length sword a, a one-handed sword or a knife and that's the basis so when you see kali everyone says oh a screamer and stuff like that and they used to seeing people smashing sticks you know they they, they go oh those are kali sticks uh, which is a rattan stick that's 28 inches long, but the 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 stick is just a training tool for the sword, and and so in in Kali, the oh God, I don't want to start sounding like Doug Mokaina, so slide against Doug Mokaina, but the, <laughs> the 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 Kali stick is a training tool for the sword, and in Kali you learn to use the stick first, the long weapon first, and then and then you go to the short weapon, which is the knife, and then you go to the empty hand. and the and the, and the whole philosophy behind that was was that in 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 places like the Philippines and uh, Indonesia where they were still fighting um, Japanese or imperialists in the in in the turn of the 1900s or whatever. Um, if you're really going to fight people, you're going to use a weapon, not your empty hands. And it wasn't a, a personal development program like yoga or anything. They were actually fighting. So they would use the tools that they had. And the tools that they had, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of uh, interesting uh, blade history and culture uh, in Indonesia and the Philippines. Okay, so the martial arts of the Philippines are typically called Kali. And uh, and then Indonesia would be Salat. And, and so... People that practice Kali, probably a lot of people practice with the sticks, but the stick is just a training tool for the sword. And then if you, the sword is easier to use than a knife because your timing has to be perfect and the spacing has to be perfect. Because a sword, you know, the the Kali stick or the sword is is twenty eight inches long, and a, and a knife is a knife. You know, it's like five inches long. So you kind of work the you kind of work backwards, I guess. Um, meaning 
the long weapon, the knife, and then the empty hand if you had to use empty hands, but you would absolutely prefer to use the long weapon or knife. Okay, so take it to the modern day. Not many of us can run around wearing a sword of any length. So uh, knife fighting is a big part of... It's kind of, you know, it's a big part of it, yeah? So that's the martial arts of the Philippines, experts in using the blade, as they would say. And to a lesser extent, a lot. But I, I would say the Philippines is the best uh, martial arts systems when it comes to knowing how to use a, uh, a knife, you know, four or five inch blade, six. Right? That's how those break down. It's the Southeast okay. Asian martial arts. Okay, so that, that actually makes that makes a lot of sense. So it's it's weapons-based being a blade. It is weapons-based. And, and that's, yes. okay. Yeah. Cause Absolutely weapons-based. makes sense. And, right. and if you ever, and then, you know, later, if you ever live over there, um, you, you'll, you know, You'll see why if you ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you, well, I just mean you can't you can't sneak a gun over there or anything. So you know, oh right, you gotta okay. Use I, right. what you got. <laughs> yeah, it's a non-firearms based. Yeah, right. Sure, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'd like to go there at some point. Okay. At some point, and I want to make my rounds around Asia. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be right after the right after the COVID break. It'll be time to do it, probably. Mm. Yeah, I was supposed to go to Japan at the end of this year, but that ain't happening. Probably most likely. Yeah. So postpone that. Yeah, sure. Uh, So that that definitely makes sense with the development. And so, I mean, is that, that's what, when you're saying that, so you've been practicing that for 20, how long? 26 years? What did you say? Yeah, about 28 years, I think. I think it started about 92, 93. Okay. So, I mean, you're definitely, you're entrenched in the scene and that, that makes sense with the whole prototyping and the top down. That's that's how it started. That's that's really where, that's my, that's my root. Wow. How I got into knife making. That's I, it was from that. It wasn't just oh, I like knives. I want to make them. I mean, I was obviously I like knives. I mean, come on. But <laughs> right. there was a it was a purpose driven thing, you know. I got gotcha. because uh, it was like me and my buddy Ken. We were sitting around, you know, on the sofa in the garage, going, "Shit, man, we there's no knives that are exactly what are, you know what we want for for Kali." And then he he actually started. He's like, "I'm gonna have some made," and you know, he started having them made. And, and then eventually, I was like, "Shit, I'm gonna start making them." <laughs> that's really I mean, cool. that's that's a logical no. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's totally. You see a hole in the market, whatever market that right. is, and you're like, right. "I mean, yeah. let's let's take care of that." And that's how we tracked along for a long time. And then, so back and forth from Thailand, being a scientist and stuff, I finished the PhD, and then come back to the states. So um, the whole time I was training and having a great time and having loads and loads and loads of adventures in Thailand, which we could talk about forever, but. Um, as it relates to knife making, got back to the States and I moved back to the States because I couldn't find a scientist job in Thailand or in Singapore or, uh, or in Japan. I thought about going to Japan. I didn't want to start over in Japan. So, um, come back to the States and long story short, I ended up running the ranch. So, hmm. okay. Cause I, I, the whole time I was gone, I was gone overseas for about seven years and my dad's ranch had started to get into a bit of disarray and people were kind of screwing him over. And, uh, you know, you notice how he, he didn't have good people he could rely on and stuff. And I got back there and the place was a bit, uh, a bit in shambles. And I said, okay, you know, I'll help you out down here. And then I did that a couple of weeks and I said, holy shit, man. I said, this is a full-time job. So you got to, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I started out real altruistic, and then after a couple of weeks, it's like, wow, this is not. I mean, it's like all day, every day work. I said, you know, how about we just work something out? Hmm. So I ended up down there, and I was running the ranch during the day and making knives at night. 
Okay, I'll go back to the states. That's in Dallas, right? You're in Dallas. You're running yeah, a ranch. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, are we ta- we're talking like cattle ranching or what? Yeah, kind yeah. Of- we have a run head of cattle there. I mean, we're enough wow. enough. I think we're up to like fifty head. Uh, you know, we, we. So you got fifty head of cattle. You you can sell roughly fifty calves a year. So it's, it's quite a bit. Hmm. It's enough. I mean, it pays the bills. So. Uh, I have again. Sure. I'm going to just no go with the, yeah. Cattling is not. Yeah. If you, if Brian, if you say so, I trust you. Absolutely. <laughs> I um, didn't, hey, it's not, it's not, I didn't even have a background in it. I, there was like, like you said, there was a niche, there was a hole. Right. Exactly. Mike, it's kind of like, a, I mean, I didn't even begin to tell you before all this started, that I was a musician or anything. I'm just kind of fly. It was like, Oh, there's Jesus. a need here. Oh, fuck it. I'll do it. You know, <laughs> I'm just, just, I'll figure it out and do it. And, you know that's kind of everywhere i've went i'm like oh okay fuck it i guess here we are let's just do this life skills number 142 right let me do some reading i'll be get back with you in two weeks so you get back from thailand you're an official scientist you're in like a white lab coat you're armed with machetes and (laughs) 20 years of collie experience and then you're Uh, like you know what i'll just i'll just just jump on this this horse and we'll cowboy this shit out and call it yeah basically basically wow that's pretty much it okay that's uh yeah okay all right so you're so you're back you're taking care of the ranch mm-hmm. you're and you're okay so you're making knives at the ranch while doing the cattling in the in the barn yeah at night yeah and then it's where are we from there wow uh they banged that out for a couple of years and that was really nice i mean it's you know it's either really nice or really lonely and there's a lot of space to fill up with one person um so a couple of year we get a couple of year on the one hand it you know it can be maddening being out in the middle of nowhere by yourself i mean i would lock the gate sometimes and not not reopen that gate for 5 days um literally just living out in the you know in the country by myself um and that can be a little bit maddening and then it, th- that got to be a couple of years of that and my my whole philosophy in life is if you do anything for 3 years you either got you got to you know you you got to say look i'm either going to go ahead and plan on doing this possibly forever or i gotta switch you know so i did it for long enough to where i was like i don't want to keep doing this forever so so that really brings us to the crux to how we got here was was the jumping off point and here's every knife maker knows this point so this one will ring true for any knife makers is uh okay do i go full retard or do, do, do i get another job because <laughs> i'm doing sure. i'm doing enough business a year to you know a little you know enough money a year to be like okay it's kind of partially an income uh you know every part-time maker who is really kind of busting his balls at the end of the day or at night is doing this he's like uh, you know it's partially an income i have an audience i did you know i didn't just like making hunting knives and i was making them in the garage i had plans and i had connections and you know i like i said i tried to make it a an organization where I could figure out how ways to sell them. And, but then I realized I couldn't stay at the ranch forever. So then it was like, me. I just went full retard. I didn't even go part time. Yeah. I went full time before I even sold the knives. <laughs> I, was, I came home from college one day and I was like, mom, brilliant, I'm moving out brilliant. next week. Brilliant. I have brilliant. a shop lined up in the apartment. I'm going to go try to make knives for a year. <laughs> You're not the only one, man. I know the guys that do the and same. Seven years later. <laughs> Yeah, still kind of making knives. Still, still on it. Seven years of agony. Good life decisions. Just <laughs> <laughs> agony, lack of sleep. Right, so I just kind of angled things to where they worked out. Uh, 
and obviously I went full retard. So here we are. Wow. All right. So, so at that point when you're when you're making this this crucial, the cruciality of the situation is crushing sure. down. Um, were you aware of the knife market as you <clears throat> know it now? Like, were I, were you aware of custom I was. knives? Okay. I was. So you you had sort of you had I did my research. Yeah. Oh, you did. Okay. No, no, dude. I mean, not only was I already, uh, I wouldn't say selling any kind of a lot of knives, but I was selling enough to where I was constantly busy. I think when I was pumping out fixed blades um, full time, you know, I could on a in a good month just flat out grinding. You know, not a lot of knives, but you know, twelve knives a month or something, I don't know something like that, um, and they were selling so. I was just kind of chugging along, just thinking about it. Uh, I had, I had, I have knife maker friends uh, through martial arts connections and stuff. And I had picked their brains um, and just lucky enough. Again, it's just networking. I, I, there were a couple other knife makers that liked my stuff from the old days, the old fixed blade stuff. And, and, you know, they'd reach out to me and said, well, you know, we like your, your stuff is nice and so I said, you know i really love to pick your brain you're doing what i think i want to do um uh go ahead and name names here uh, alan alishowitz is a guy who was from dallas and had been involved in the same exactly the same martial art that i was involved in uh and so i talked to alan about it um i went out to blade show actually a long before i rewind i actually met alan at blade show back in like 2003 or something anyway um but we, i connected with him and i was you know kind of just picking his brain uh about doing it full time and so kind of at that crucial point i can say alan was a big help in terms of especially for technical stuff um i mean i know you know alan so yeah uh that's quite the person to just stumble across that you're uh well it was just no it was just the same thing it was just dumb luck um it was just dumb luck he alan a longtime martial artist as well and and luckily as luck would have it alan was a longtime martial artist with some of the same guys that i was a martial artist with and so we had mutual friends and this this is actually a brilliant story this would be great for the podcast i guess and he told you going full-time was a good idea yeah uh oh no 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 there's a lot of funny stories in this um tell me how much of the story i should tell in public but um we were we were in the pit well, I, know I, alan, I, I know alan and i i said about <laughs> half that's not legal for public uh expression yeah 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 i know <laughs> um let me see so maybe i'll omit any of the stuff that might not be um me and my the the guy I told you about earlier, Ken Nishikawa, and I, I, I keep wanting to say this because Ken is a he's absolutely not interested in knife making or knife design, but there's a lot of my design. Uh, not there is no Beagler Blade Works without my friend Ken Nishikawa, and I constantly give him credit for this. Ken is a brilliant uh, artist and a great designer, and his it, without his kind of spark and genesis to you know, I was like, Ken, how, how do you design knives? And he really just, um, you know, showed me his drawings and it, and this relates to martial arts and otherwise, some of the shapes I still use are directly inspired by the designs he made. So me and Ken went to uh, blade show. God, I think it was like 2003 or something. It's a funny story. And just, I, I, 
long before I ever considered being a knife maker like like I am today. And I was making knives at the time, but nothing like this. And uh, me and Ken went out there and we were in the pit and I roll up to the bar there at the, at the Renaissance Waverly. And I'm like, uh, uh, Alan Lishowitz is there. No way, shit, it wasn't even Alan Lishowitz. Hold on, this is the part of the story I can't figure out if I have to omit. Um, Ken knows, Ken, so Ken is a massive knife nut. I mean, he's like the biggest knife nut ever and used to be. He kind of dropped out of it. But he had, I mean, back in the, back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, Ken had the entire uh, Benchmade catalog times i mean he had like four of every model when he when he ordered knives from new Graham back in the day he would order like four of everything he ordered i mean the dude the dude had totes and totes and totes full of all these benchmates he had basically the entire catalog he was a huge fan of benchmate okay and, and a little bit of spider coat too so we roll up to the bar and les dasis is there with i guess the vp of benchmate or something and and i don't know who these dudes are and Ken goes, oh shit, that's Les Dassis. And so he's like, he wants to meet him. He's like, hi, I'm Ken. I have all of your knives. I have all of them. All, <laughs> all of, of them. Every one of your knives. I mean, I mean, literally the guy had the whole damn catalog. And so, and so I'm like, okay, cool. That's, that's neat. And, uh, and so he turns around, talks to us and I'm like, oh, you're Les Dassis. Okay. So my favorite knife at the time, this was in 2004 or three. I had been to Thailand once a couple times. And so this is why this is important. So I'm like, hi, Les, you know, I'm Brian. It says my, and I, so I start talking. I was like, man, my favorite knife is uh, the 710. Uh, love the knife. It's actually, it's my lucky knife. Uh, I carried a 710 Benchmade to every country I've ever been. And then if I ever go to a new country, I feel kind of weird. I need to take it with me because it's kind of a good luck charm. I've always loved this knife. It was the first high-end uh, folder I've ever owned in my life. It was a Benchmade 710. I think I paid a hundred bucks for it. I don't know, and 2003 or something like that. And so I tell him the story. And so the first time I'd ever been to Bangkok was 2004. And I'm going to, uh, I'm with my girlfriend at the time and her parents, her parents live in Kuala Lumpur. And uh, he, her dad's, a, they're, uh, they're from America. Her dad's an oil, kind of mid-level oil executive. And he's working with um, Petronas in Kuala Lumpur. So, we're in Bangkok and we're on vacation and we're going to my first ever, what was the second? Anyway, we're going to a Muay Thai fight at Lumpini Stadium. And so we go across Bangkok and we go through all this traffic and, and we're late and it's a real nightmare getting across Bangkok and nobody knew what to do and how to do it and stuff. And so it's like a very stressful event and we roll up to, to Lumpini Stadium and there's a metal detector. Okay. <laughs> and so I walk up and I'm like, Ooh, this isn't going to go well. This is not good. And, you know, and it's my first time in country. I'm like, I don't know how to act and whatever. So I go, look, um, I got, I, you know, the parents walk in. I'm like, Ugh, I, I got to go outside. Awkward. Yeah, yeah. So I run outside. I run outside and uh, I go to this sidewalk. You know, you can't really call it a cafe in Asia. It's just <laughs> people drinking on the sidewalk and, and tables and chairs. And I am like, uh, try, you know, first time in country. So I'm like, uh, I sit down, order a beer. And there's a planner, and I stuff the knife in a planner oh. uh, behind my chair and nice. uh, down in the dirt. And then I go, now I can clear the metal detector, go watch the fights, have an awesome time. Saw, you know, saw a great, or I think a spinning elbow knockout. I was like thoroughly excited. So I come back outside and, and then at the table. So now I need to go sit back at the same table and discreetly pull the knife out. 
um, my table is open, but sitting next to the table is uh, four cops at the next oh, table. <laughs> nice. That so, is good. So, you know, so I sit down dead casual and, uh, you know, and eventually I work the knife out of the dirt. You know, I'm trying to reach behind my butt and a chair, totally casual, (laughs) digging a knife out of the dirt and it's still there. And so I still have it to this day. So it's like my lucky knife. It's, it's the one I won't go to a new country without putting that in my suitcase. Um, even though I don't even carry the knife anymore and the tip's broken off and, I like uh, if I go to a country I've never been to before, I take the knife because now it's my liquor charm. That's awesome. So I, that is, uh, yeah. So have I, it. That's awesome. I still have That's it. Yeah, great. for sure. No, no, you can't. If if somebody stole that knife, I'd be I'd be distraught. So I tell Les Dice this this story at the Renaissance Waverly, uh, whatever year this is, and he's like, "Wow, that is a cool Benchmade story, man." I'm like, "Thanks." And so here's the funny part: I had heard. I'm a whiskey drinker. And, and, and so in the midst of this conversation, I had heard Les order and he, and you know, you guys, of course, you know, you drink at Blade Sugar all the time. It's hotel prices. Les at the time he's drinking a, it was like a double Glenfiddich, I think. And you order a double Glenfiddich at a hotel. It's quite expensive. And so, but here's the thing. And this is what I knew. It was like, uh, he's like, you know, can I buy you a drink? And I said, sure, man, I'll just have what you're having. <laughs> <laughs> And the funny part, which is a completely oh. honest, that's a totally okay answer. Sure. If somebody offers to buy you a drink, right? I mean, yeah, it's, it's, not a dick, it's not a dick move. I just said, no, it's what you're having. But I had heard him order. Nice. And he's like, he ordered, and then the look on his face, he's like. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, I got to buy this guy. A, oh, I know. Oh. I got to buy this stranger a $35 scotch or whatever it was. He can afford it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I'm totally saying. Fine. So I, I thought it was funny because I knew because I heard him that's order. Great. So that's what I said. And so he ordered. Well, this, is, this is the great part of the story. So he ordered. You know, I, I get the drink and I'm drinking and a lot. You know, as you do in the pit. And then finally they leave and stuff. Here's the Allen part of the story. As it so happens, I mean, like two feet to the left of Lester's Allen Leishwitz is at the is bellied up to the bar, which is, I can't believe they were that close to each other. And then Alan, right after they leave, I get closer to the bar and I kind of turn to Alan and I'm going to start talking to him. Cause I'm going to say, Hey, you know, me and you know, the same guys. And Alan just looks me dead in the eye and goes, you know, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll stop there. I'm not going to say anything else that was said after that. But <laughs> okay. That's, that, that's, that's how, like, that's far enough. Yeah, it's far enough. That's how uh, me and him connected. Uh, me and Alan connected. It's a pretty funny story. That's and, awesome. Uh, we've been that's, talking ever since. Wow. That's a great yeah. benchmate. That's a great knife story. That's great. <coughs> that's, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, well-earned uh, token. Well-earned scotch. <laughs> yeah. I, absolutely. Yeah. Me and Jerry had a similar story about that's, that with, the, with the, someone buying a drink. But we didn't even get to watch their face until they got the bill. Yeah. <laughs> it was just afterwards. Oh, no. He knew it was funny when I said, nah, whatever you're having. Whatever, whatever you're having is what I'll have. That's yeah, great. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that's how Noel and then uh, okay. We 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 just been uh, you know talking ever since. Yeah. He's uh, a believe me, man. You know you know Alan. He's the we call him uh, <laughs> my buddy. Go well, my some of the guys that my other friends they call him Knife Jesus. I mean, he's one of those he's one of those characters in the community that like. He's, He's Somehow not he's just he's been there forever and when I decided to go full retard um into 
knife making, I knew CNC was going to have to be involved. I didn't know anything about CNC at all. I mean, nothing. And so uh, some of the years I was in Thailand, I started trying to figure out how to start doing 3D modeling. Um, You know, that first guy I talked about earlier, Ken, had had told me, it kind of taught me how to use Adobe Illustrator, which helped me design you know, knives and illustrator, which is not a CAD program, obviously. Um, but then I, I, I knew that I could see that the future of knife making was definitely going to be in 3d modeling and CNC, uh, at years ago. And so I, I kind of tried to get some pirated software there in Chiang Mai because you could, you could literally, I could really jump on my, uh, 125 CC Honda dream scooter and go down to a, a software shop and, you know, ask some Thai guys if they, you know, what software you got for, it. and they have everything in there, and it ended up not being the way I ended up going, or you know, I'm not going to use pirated software, obviously, for my business, but I tried to figure out, you know, exactly what the hell was going on with it, just dipping my toes into it. Um, so years later, when I when I leave the ranch and decide I'm going to go full retard, um, it's uh, I had got in contact with Ryan from RMJ Tactical, who's a really super cool dude. You guys probably met him. Um, yeah, it's really, uh, and I can't speak enough about how what a what a nice guy he is and a supportive guy to other knife makers and anybody. Just you know, just a really good soul. That and he uh, he's like, you know, I'm a fan, and and I said, man, I really am interested in learning about how to produce knives with CNC. Um, he's like, uh, dude, you know, come out come out to Chattanooga and, and see, you know, what we got going here how the operation works. And, uh, he gave me, so I flew out to Chattanooga and he gave me, uh, I'm like two days of his time. I mean, like eight hours, uh, each day just really lined out exactly what it, what it took to run an operation to make knives uh, on CNC. And, and it, it, probably the biggest single boost up I've ever had in uh, knife making that got me to where I am today, honestly. I mean, that's super legit, actually. Um, yeah, he, he's a great guy. I mean, he's very, very giving of his time. He's a really great guy. I mean, that's sometimes, it, you know, the difference, we talk about this a lot on here, but, you know, the difference in a lot of these stories is the same as the differences in a lot of industries, which is you know, this industry, like some other smaller, and I just, everybody chill out, cottage industry, but like it's, you know, people tend to be very sharing in the knife community, which I think is important because they realize a lot of times when they show people something, that person in a few years could be, in theory, in other industries, that would be your competition. But here it's just like, no, like this is important. I don't own this knowledge. I'm just borrowing it. And, yeah. you know, I'm going to tell you because you never know. You might produce a really awesome product that, you know, people are going to like, which is important. Yeah. So everything I, in terms of using a CNC, um, that got me started. Uh, to Mostly got me started to know that it was possible that I could do it. Because I had no, I have no machining background. Um you know, the, the most machine <laughs> I bought a, before I got the CNC, I got a, a Chinese, um, manual, uh, C mill, you know, like a $4,000 bed mill type thing with, you know, and I was doing a little bit of hand milling and I was talking to Alan. He's like, well, you should do some, you know, some 
some some of my hand because he's you know he's all all by hand guys no cnc um and i did that to kind of give me an idea of uh because i'm just grinding everything you know and whenever there's a problem with a thing i just i revert to the grinder because i did so much grinding yeah no i did so much grinding i did years and years of grinding i made over a hundred knives on a hundred dollar grinder okay damn all right yeah and so Alan says, uh, just figure out all on manual first, but he has like the coolest manual machines ever. And like, no shit. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's what we call about knife Jesus because you're like, okay, Alan, you're like figured out a manual, but not all of us can understand how to buy a, a, a Swiss mill from the 1800s, refurbish the mill and then run it perfectly to make stuff that like watchmakers used to use in 1868. Yeah, just that easy, like man. Custom watchmaking <laughs> pictures and all this. Yeah, stuff. Right, so right, I'm, right. Like, I'm like, hey. all your, all that combined is one CNC mill. One CNC mill. His his, his, his level his level of manual knowledge is uh, is just ridiculous. So you know, mm-hmm. and even I I remember calling him one time. I was like, oh, I'm in. Uh, this relates to car stuff i told you about before i was at a i was at a, a car shop the guys who build custom cars and this guy oh we got this old mill from uh from elementary school and uh we're thinking about selling it for like two thousand dollars and and he's like you can buy it brian and i'm like oh i don't know anything about mills and so i call alan alan lives in the Braunfels, which was just north of san antonio so i call alan and he's like oh well just check this 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 you know this he's giving me all this technical shit on the phone <laughs> like because he likes to talk on the phone and i'm like Alan, man, I don't have a clue. Any of these words you're saying, like what do they mean? Gibberish? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, Alan, mean. I can't go check. I, I don't even remember all the shit you said. And and so Ryan was a bit of a godsend then because then he's like, look, dude, just buy CNC. <laughs> so, yeah, if you can get ahead. the financing, just do it. Um, Ryan allowed me to to be able to have the confidence to just buy a CNC and figure out how to use it by myself. And that's what I did. And that's what got me to the production level that I'm at now. I can never produce as many knives as I do now. So what Without. What year are we looking at that, that you jumped into CNC about? I think I got the... I got, <laughs> this is easy. This is funny. <clears throat> I purchased the CNC uh, the day that Donald Trump was elected president, and I got delivery wow. of it when he was inaugurated as president. <laughs> no shit. Okay. That's there you go. Just... It, <laughs> So, you know, exactly. I, I remember it's just funny because uh, even my dad joked about it. He's like, well, we purchased this and then it's here on the days. And so those are exactly the days. So 2016. Damn. Okay. All right. And I literally had the Haas guy. You know, you when you buy one, you know, you get the local Haas uh, dealer, you know, comes out and they say, okay, you get three technical training sessions from whoever's going to show up from the local distributor. And, uh, and they had, they sent out their tech guy, once or twice and i and that guy i don't know he was like an old school machinist and he was talking to me still in words that i couldn't understand and so then i talked to the dude who sold it to me and i was like look i know that guy's an old machinist and the guy's like yeah 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 i said could you just come out and just tell me how to push these buttons and figure this shit out <laughs> just, like, what am I doing? just give me enough to get started and uh and finally on that third trip on the guy says look just do the, you know this is kind of how it works and then you know like every other guy who's 
I think Les George said it. It was funny on in the in this one of these groups on the Facebook. Um, look, they'll sell these machines to anybody, and they don't care if you know how to use them. Um, like everybody else, uh, a lot of broken end mills and a lot of there. Uh, luckily, not a, not a lot of crashes or anything because I'm definitely afraid of that. You know, because it's expensive. So just a lot of broken end mills and learning a little. And from that original bed mill learning how to, you know, not run it too fast, too slow. I'm just flying by the seat of my pants. And then if I have a machining question, I could, uh, I could, uh, text Ryan or the, the, the dude that's, uh, Ryan's, uh, CNC guy in his shop, uh, just, uh, and then that's hmm. it. And then that. All right. Yeah. That, that's, I like that. Like, you know what? It's, you don't it's have to really be just a whole lot of trial just... and error, man. They'll just send this stuff to you. Like, you want a mill? We'll sell. We'll sell you. No, no, they'll like, sell them to anybody. No problem. You got no, the money. Sure, I've good. Sh- surely right. broke a lot of carbide mills, but I think every knife maker has probably oh, gone yeah. through that. And surely every machinist. And I, I now, I know other guys like uh, Brian Nadeau is a good example. Um, I luckily I've befriended example, horrible mentor. <laughs> no, but I, 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 I love Brian's work. Uh, I, I thought his his shit was really awesome right from the get go. First time I ever saw it, and so I make sure to, you know, we became guys. I could talk to him, and uh, I knew he was an expert machinist. And but he'll even, you know, he'll even tell me you wouldn't believe Brian. You know, the one time I crashed a machine like this, you know, so. You are you talking about the vice? Through, are you talking about the the face melt through the vice? Exactly. You know the yeah, story. I, I, exactly. Well, no, Brian was my mentor. He was the reason I got a CNC. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, me like, and you, you are, me and you, actually talked to each other at, at Brian's table at the Vegas show one time. Yeah, we, we also we also hung out at, at PVK's back room. So. For sure, for sure. No, but uh, like I used to ask him questions. So I didn't plan on getting a CNC when I walked into his shop one day. <laughs> I walked out. And I was like, well, if I don't have one by the end of the year, I can't be full time. This was me being for like sure. a year into full time. No, totally. And I had one nine months later. But like when I had to ask him questions, I was like, "Hey, Rod, like I don't know what to do." He's like, "What the fuck do you want?" Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I think I need to do this, but this seems smarter. And like whatever works. I'm like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Like, can you can you just get tell me which one's better? He's like, Well, well, I feel safe if that's your decision. I'm like, I'm like, it's, he's like I feel safe if you're gonna do that on your machine. I'm like, right, 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 right. Here, I feel I okay if it's with your machine. That's, that's good yeah. I'm like. <laughs> But if you knew absolutely dick about CNC, Brian could at least say, oh, you may have to try this and this and this. You know? No, it made you, it made you so, it made you question your, like, make you question yourself with the questions you asked. <laughs> yeah. That's what you want. It's helped. He's given me a few good tips. Yeah. Keep it. Keep I think it I, I messaged him like two, a week ago. No, like three weeks ago when I was getting the delivery of the second mill and I was like, hey, like I'm having like a hell of a time transporting this thing. And this is the only truck bed that I've been able to find. It's technically half air ride, half not. And like, is this a good idea? And he's like, well, I feel safe if you're doing it with your machine. I'm like, God damn it. I'm like, look, man, this is the third attempt to move this machine. First guy, wrong truck. Second guy died on the way there. And like, I'm, try- I'm hoping third time's the charm. Like, would you do this? Like, I would happily do this with your car. Like, wait. I, I hired professional machine movers for everything. Fancy guy, huh? Okay. All right. Couldn't imagine. Couldn't imagine. So, so Brian, you were yeah. you're saying you got a, a VF4 was the first machine? Uh, it's a VF3. VF3. Okay. So, you got no. you got the Jerry, VF3. you've seen one of those. It's it's a big-ass machine. That's that's pretty much the new machine. That it's got a lot of, it's got a lot of, it's got a lot of X travel. It's, it's twice yeah, it's, the 40. It's, 
It's the machine John just got. Yeah, the, the really it's twenty big by one. forty, uh, twenty by forty um, work envelope, and uh, this is going back to Ryan from RMJ Tactical. It's the the machines they use in their shop, and they were making. This is why it dovetailed into what I was doing because I, going back to that original thing about making co- uh, swords and stuff like right. that, um, I knew I needed to do that to keep uh, you know that part of the business going. So I needed the work envelope. Those guys are doing tomahawks on a 20 by 40 envelope machine so i got the same i basically just got the same machine that ryan was using Hmm. that's why i got it okay so you you got that and you are still so you're just you're continuing at this point you're still you're still doing the swords you Mm -hmm. haven't gotten into the bali songs yet this is where we start with bali songs okay so the bali song thing First of all, it was a natural extension of the Filipino martial arts because Balasong, as you know, is Filipino martial arts weapon. Um, and so it was just a natural evolution of what was going to come next for what I was going to do. And the the key there was that it was not only the natural evolution of what I was going to do, is I saw that there was a, uh, a better... N- uh, hole there f- to be filled than there was in the folder market. Uh, just meaning busting into the folder market is, man, that's crowded, right? So, yeah, there's, there's plenty of those. Um, so I said, uh, I did folders by hand. Um, you know, I think for a while I made a, enough of them by hand to know that, where that was at. And then I started making buzz things by hand. Um, and boy, that was not fun. So, I I would never ever ever want to go back to making to make Bali songs by hand. Just go ever. ahead and skip that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely skip that. No, I did. This is like I said when I decided I was going to go full on uh, knife maker. I you know I got a I got a, a time sheet app on my phone and I started you know you know with with consult with my dad because he's a businessman. He's like, well, you got to understand your you know, he's giving me all the business side of it. You know, look, look at what your inventory's got, you know, this and that, and your supplies and your hours. And so, and so I started tracking as many hours as I was spending making the bollies and how much it was costing. I started looking at the numbers to see if I could actually do this for a living. Um, and I swear to God, I think the, you know, those first months I was doing, we'll just talk about the Bali songs. Um, I made a, a couple, you know, like four or five Bali songs full double bolster onliners Bali songs by hand and I think it took me I, I think I could put out four a month. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's and I was like, oof, that's <laughs> yeah. that's not gonna work. There's no way that's economically viable. And that kinda pushed me into the doing it by C and C. So I, I knew that, that was the only way forward. And also like I said before, I think anybody who was thinking and knife making uh let's say five years ago it was like look since he's it, it's where it's going uh, yeah i definitely don't regret it <clears throat> oh god i don't regret it at all and then there's actually even a funny alan time because me and <laughs> he jokes about it now because because i had constantly every every time i go to blade show i bounces off alan and i was like you know what he's like well, yeah. and and then finally when i had kind of started making all the nice by scenes you know cnc but it's not just cnc it's seeing it i do a mix right and we'll talk about that in a minute but he kind of joked he says see i told you you know you shouldn't we talked about the learning curve 
when it, but and I'm sure Nick can corroborate this. The the the, the when you're like, oh, I've never made a, anything by CNC. You know, there's a massive learning curve, right? Because you got to model, um, and then you got to understand how to run in CNC, and and it's very unforgiving. You know, you make a single mistake, and you're in your in your cam, and then you know, bam, you just had a crash, and all that stuff. So the yeah, learning curve not is forgiving. It's not forgiving, and, it, and the learning curve is steep. But once you get past all that and figure out how to model it, um, the creative, the creative. Uh, here's the deal: the I had always had these ideas that I could never the 3D stuff that I could never do with my hands, right? Because I can't on a mill, I can't control X, Y, and Z at this simultaneously, and all. You know, it's just you just can't do the stuff by hand. You can do the CNC, and it's like everything. If you can, if you have a real good uh, conceptual idea of what you can do in 3D, and that kind of turns you on, I guess is the best idea, the way to say that. Then you can start to really. I had all these ideas years and years before that. It's like, oh, I wish I could do this in you know 3D, and it's nothing I could replicate with a grinder. I bet you Alan has a fixture for it though. <laughs> he doesn't in terms of the handles okay so we're talking about the handle and the blades the blades of the blades i mean you, you can almost grind everything you want to grind in a blade but when it comes to the handles I don't know, there's kind of a whole world of new stuff intricacies there is there is and uh and um wow just shameless plug here i'm about to release a bunch of crazy stuff handle wise and and i going to my brand i do a lot of um handles that are i think outside of the box for a lot of balisong makers um and i'm about to release like some stuff that's just absolutely insane honestly i think you one of the coolest balisong handles i think you do are the ones with the, with the leather wrapping yeah i was, I was gonna say nah. those, those are pretty dope <laughs> yeah that was that's an idea i had for a long time uh before i ever <laughs> was able to conceive how to accomplish it. Are you relieving the bottom to compensate for the thickness of the wrap? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah, I had to measure the goddamn uh, thickness of the wrap to to relieve the bottom, essentially. Just what you said. Yeah, I saw you you're working on a whole a whole set right now or or a batch, right? Yep, yep, yeah. The batch is about to drop and then but that's not the crazy stuff. <laughs> oh, that's not the crazy stuff. No, no, I'm holding on to the crazy stuff. Okay. okay. <laughs> no, no, wait till you see the next stuff. It's going to be insane. Because I've gone even further than everyone before. I mean, that's, it's just, that's way to do that's it. That's a neat thing about CNC is every crazy idea you have for the handle. I mean, the blade's a blade's a blade. I mean, outside, of, the thing that I think makes my brand strong is that I have a strong background in grinding um, because that's just how I started making regular old fixed blades. And, and and my old uh, buddy, Ken, I told you he had good designs for blades, and we kind of collaborated, and we made cool blades. He was always like, blah, on the handles. He's like, you know, handle's a handle. I'm like, no, you know, you, okay, blades are blades. Uh, there's every shape of blade, you know, and then especially now, geez, um, every possible conceivable non-traditional blade shape, you know, and I, I try and push into non-traditional blade shapes, but, uh, you know, those are all grinded out in every way, shape, or form, and you can help with CNC and this and the other. But 
inside of the handle end of it, well, I mean, the sky's the limit, you know? Yeah, I mean, pr- pretty yeah. much, essentially. I mean, you've got you've got some pretty some pretty diverse um, blade styles. To be to be fair. Yeah, um, yeah. No, no. I, that's my my idea for now. If we cruise right into the belly songs, um, was I wanted to have a a solid, recognizable uh, blade shapes that when people looked at the blade, they go, oh, "That's you know one of uh, Bigler Bladeworks blades." Um, and so I released them in succession as per the drawings and designs I've been using, uh, you know, drawing up for years now. And all those years I was sitting in Thailand, um, you know, doing science and Muay Thai, I was drawing up blades and thinking about what I was going to eventually produce. And, uh, I hope that they're recognizable and then stick with those recognizable blade shapes, not just willy nilly all the, <laughs> for lack of a better word, all those blade shapes. Uh, and then just giving interesting, uh, creative handle options on all of them and so now i'm i originally my original plan was five blade shapes and then about five handles and now i'm up to you know i i went from five blade shapes and then branched out to probably 10 handles and now i've added two more blade shapes and then i'm about to release a bunch of just just kind of high custom crazy handle ideas that nobody's ever even thought of and, and that gets me to where I'm talking. We can roll into ballet songs now. Um, a lot of in the ballet song market right now is guys are doing, I call it slots and dots. Um, <laughs> meaning, I mean, it's, it's diff- not inaccurate to be fair. But, <clears throat> it's you know. different combo. Well, I'm not taking shots at anybody, no, no, but, yeah, but the entire market is looks to a lot to be a different combinations of slots and dots, is, which I mean is just holes and slots um, in a titanium slab. And, Sure, there's nothing wrong with that, but now um, with the great Bali song explosion of 2019, um, <laughs> there's yeah, there's become so many different, almost unrecognizable. I mean, you you can't even tell what you're it's you can't even tell what you're looking at uh, between whose knife is that and whose you know it isn't, and it's gotten so far that I even ratcheted back to traditional just flat out inlays you know, regular rounded inlays, uh, which are honestly are a giant pain in the ass to do. They're not easy to do. Uh, if they're dove- dovetailed inlays or, I mean, they're, I, I end up with a lot of spare handles that this, the, the problem with belly songs, you're making a uh, slab handle belly songs and inlays. Um, you'll, you're going to end up with, there's a lot of orphans, you know, or one didn't, one didn't quite cause you got to get the tolerances right in, inside the dovetails and, and there's a whole lot of mix of I've got I've got really gorgeous ironwood, you know, piece that turned out, but one piece turned out shit. So uh, I end up with these wasted, just gorgeous pieces of ironwood, and one of them is fucked up because it, one out of four, and then the night that whole set is trashed. And then you go back and try and match, you know, maybe I'll get another piece of ironwood and try to match it to it. There's a lot of waste. That's all I can tell you. I mean, I I gotta say, I'm I'm. The scales are great. I mean, it's really I I I, I do like a lot of of certain stuff we're seeing with the slots and dots, but yeah, um, no, I mean, it's, your your I'm not work with the it, scales but... is 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 nice because it's it's something that you're right. Nobody likes doing scales, but you know what? Fucking scales are awesome and they sell really good. And it's a more traditional, super 
high end look for a ballet song and yeah. it's four of them so i mean i just think it's cool because then you just end up with even more of whatever material that's your <laughs> my, chosen material my 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 moby dick my ahab white whale for the last five years has been uh and i i've always said i'm gonna make two of these knives and i'm keeping one is every year I go to the Blade Show, I go to that big uh, stag supplier at the front of the Blade Show, right by the front door. And yeah, I buy. Culpepper. Yeah, yeah. I go to Culpeper and try and buy pieces of stag that are going to match. Oh, man. Four, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you think of it. I mean, because it's not. Because they always come in sets of two, right? Yeah. So it's, you got to get the radius right. And, the, and then I'm going to have to flatten them out. And I'm just. My. I don't know. Maybe my in my f- final <laughs> Bali song. I guess maybe by the end of my life I'll figure this out. Because I've been buying every every year that what I buy at the Blade Show. It, one of the things I always buy is stag. But I'm always searching for these perfects so I can get four of those fuckers. And then you got to get the radius right so the radius is centered on two right. But then you got to do the other two right. <laughs> and so it's this quest I've been on for five years now. I think. Trying to get the right set so that you can make one just this perfectly beautiful uh, stag set Bali song. I, 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 I mean, that's, I think that's a great I haven't got there yet. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Have you purchased a single piece of stag for it yet? No, I, I just keep purchasing the scale sets, trying to match. Stag Essentially, is, two, two sets. Stag is a because you gotta, you gotta understand, you gotta get the radius centered because I want the. You want it to curve naturally on the on the yeah. Edge it, the, the curve has to be in the middle of the yeah. curve of the handle, mm-hmm. and and also I don't want to waste just hours and hours of time trying to work on this one mad scientist project knife that's going <laughs> to bankrupt me essentially. Just just grinding grinding away stag <laughs> grinding stag away and then f- screaming right you know like when I and then I, I I dovetail it and glue it in and it doesn't work you know, I just lose my mind. It's it's a madness project. Hmm. So it really is with with the ballet songs. I mean, you okay? So you you knew you knew what you were getting into. Um, I saw a niche in the market and decided to go for ballet songs, and it was a right. it was a good. It worked well in with the Filipino martial arts, uh, really classically orientated into what I was doing martial arts wise, and 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 one a niche in the market, two it worked in what I was already doing, and so I I went for it hardcore. Was there yeah. there was there a point in building? the knives that seemed like it was like a turning point with the ballet songs or like as soon as you started making them there was just immense interest you know what i'm saying or was there was there like a moment where it was like no i got i got interest right off the bat okay. because i i had uh the first designer release was the rock style and the rock style was just <laughs> the blade shape that was uh it coincided with the fixed blades that i was doing it, it was a, it was just a it connected directly with the fixed blades that i was already producing um and the shapes i was already producing and and honestly it it, it had a really good pop right at the beginning and and also i tried to i mean i had an angle on trying to get into the market um i, I almost wish i had got a little bit more insight into Bali songs before I did it, but you know I just want to make the knife and go. Um, now I've I've upgraded the handles, you know, and altered them based on what the Bali song community is 
uh, you know, interested in, uh, and tried to figure out what they're, uh, what they're interested in, which wasn't exactly what my, uh, my concerns were, but, you know, I've tried to match my, what I'm making to what they want, basically. But right off the bat, it was a good, it was a good match. So the, the rock style blade and just again, forgive the sort of generalization, but it would, for those people listening, it is sort of a Kukri style esque (laughs) blade. Is that reasonable? Yeah, it's 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 honestly uh, to me it's a it's a recurve draw point. Yeah, it's um, just generally for your sort of people listening, go on Instagram. But it, yeah, exactly. It, it's it's more complicated than that, but it's sort of it's a, it's a recurve, recurve draw point. The blade yeah. design is a direct descendant of the fixed blades. Okay, which were designed for fighting. So my most successful fighting blades were the rock style blade shape, if you can imagine it, in fixed blade forms, and that's because as it applied to Kali, um, and now it gets really into, it's a fighting blade. It's not a utility. I mean, let's face it, it's not a utility blade. Um, you can't cut carrots with a recurve. Uh, that's what it was meant to do. So the reinforced tip was. F- for stabbing <laughs> the and the secondary point at the end of the recurve was for leading the cut in into defensive uh, we'll call it let's just call it self-defensive applications and that's what the blade was meant to do and that was the original design of it and that was the original thrust of the design and that was the original thrust of design in the fixed blades that preceded it um it just happens to be a, a, a really attractive blade shape and then uh i just had to modify that blade shape has actually been modified into my best-selling fixed blade, and as 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 well as the balsa. Okay, it All wasn't right. just a purely aesthetic uh, right. consideration, is what I'm trying to say. There's a meaning behind uh, the whole thing, and uh, when before all this Balisong thing started, I used to I used to go to martial arts conferences for instructors uh, in our in Kali, and I used to actually just take a, a briefcase full of fixed blades and sell them to guys at the at the conference. And and then I would talk about you know the, the essentially the effective characteristics of a this martial arts blade and those are translated into the Bali song. They're probably a bit lost in the Bali song crowd at this point, but that's the original thrust of that design. That's pretty actually that's pretty gnarly. Uh, it really is. That I mean that's really the thrust of that design. That's where it came from. Hmm. So the. So then, my next, my next, we'll say I'm blade chase for a second. My next favorite one sure. would be the the stink finger, which is <laughs> which is uh, it's Chris like. I call in, it. You know what I way. called that? You know what the original working title of the the stink finger was was lazy Chris. Lazy Chris. <laughs> so so everyone's always going. Oh, you know every every traditional ballad song maker has to make a Chris. And I have talked to a couple different guys who have ground Chris, including uh, including uh, Alan. And so, you know, we even talked about it. I was like, how do you grind it? And he told me how he grounded it on a two-inch wheel, you know, vertically and all this stuff. And I talked to a couple other guys who did it. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that's cool and I understand. But it's like, I don't know if the juice is worth the squeeze on that. Um, I mean, I, I understand. I I understand it's like you know a bit of an Everest. you got to climb it and do it. And every guy I know who does it does it about once or twice. Um Hey, I did sure. it drunk, so you could definitely do it. <laughs> but it was—I I totally get it. But I just, after grinding so many swords, I mean, meaning like when it comes to like an Everest, I'm like, shit, man, can I grind a 19-inch 
you know, curved sword. <laughs> I'm like, I've done a lot oh, of that. Nice gauge crest is a little different. Okay. Are you talking about balance song blade? No, yeah. no, we are. We are, we are. But what I mean was when, when everybody's like, oh, you know, you got to grind a Chris. I'm like, hey, I don't know if the juice is worth the squeeze. I just, maybe one day I'll do it. I have a lot of other crazy grinds I try and do. Just And and, and there's a lot in difficult grinding. I mean, I got, I got a 12-inch dagger that I ground once, and the whole dagger blade is only, it's only like a little over a half inch wide. So it's like a two-inch wheel. You know, it's like a letter opener, but not. You know, I'm just saying, there's a lot of crazy grinds I do, and every other guy's doing a Chris, and I'm like, yeah, I just not gonna do a Chris. So, so I started drawing up this thing, and just had this crazy idea, and I called it the Lazy Chris, which was a Chris that only turned like once. <laughs> That's where the stick finger came from. That's funny. and so it's a recurve. No, you, it's like no, a, it's it's like a really lazy Chris. Yeah, it's literally <laughs> like it's like a it's a Chris with like two curves in it yeah. maybe like the one on the bottom one on the top like it's really and so it, there's it a, has a very particular look to it that's the thing there's a secondary blade in in, in Piquita Tertia the the guy that were in the system called Tim Wade and, and Grant Tuhon Leo guy they've decided that the blade of the Piquita Tertia Kali was going to be Gununting which you see me make a lot which is this long um, super curved nasty looking blade that originally uh, orientated from harvesting sugarcane and the secondary blade of that system is called a talibong. And the talibong has this lazy curve. It recurves and then comes back up. And so the, the stink finger ended up being the kind of knife version of the talibong. And I make a talibong. So it kind of was the companion set to that. And and that also gels with, if you do Filipino martial arts, in addition to having a sword, they also have a companion knife a lot of times. In, uh, and some guys study this, and it's called a spotty daga, but it matches with the long blade and the short blade, and that one actually matches with the uh, the, the other long blade. But it's I called it the lazy Chris at first. And no, so and it, don't ask me where the name came from, because it's that was just a, a lark. <laughs> so when, when I the only reason I want to tell you the story of me grinding the Chris, the only reason I, I say it is because uh, I think it's funny. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jared, uh, Jeremiah and the other co-host Elijah just happened to be at my shop. I forgot which show it was, but they were staying with me for the week, and they were with me at the shop. And we got really drunk late at night at the shop. Happens. And, and Jared was talking about like the amazingness of some maker grinding this Chris. And uh, I started talking shit. I was like, ah, whatever. Grinding Chris is fine. Whatever. I didn't do that. Yada yada yada. He's like, well, he goes, well, you can't. I'm like, I'm drunk as shit at this point. I'm like, well, hold my beer. Oh, I thought it was actually <laughs> hold my, it was literally hold my whiskey. It was whiskey, right, right. And then he goes on IG live to make this worse. He's like, well, <laughs> he can't do it. I'm going to be recorded. And I just grab, looking for a piece of steel. I find a piece of 1095, and like, mm-hmm. it was like a few. It was like what, an hour, two hours of recording because I'm trying to yeah, draw yeah. out it was a natural Chris. Yeah, because right. I have to draw this thing. And I'm like, this doesn't look right. Elijah goes on full artist and like taking two pieces of paper trying to make hey, a symmetrical. You and... guys were like head to head trying to draw this Chris out for. A while. He's drawing. I'm like, I'm like, you can draw whatever <laughs> you fuck you fucking want. I'm grinding this motherfucker. Like, I'm gonna draw it. I'm gonna grind it. Right. So I cut this thing out of the bandsaw really quick. I had some 1095. I don't. I, I'm not hardening it. I just all I had like I didn't yeah, have right. any stainless steel. Right. And uh, I proceeded to grind it. And he he's explaining. Jeremiah has never ground a blade in his life. He's explaining to me how. It's supposed to be ground on the corner of the wheel vertically. I mean, like normal position grinder. Yeah, I'm like, no, you have to do it with the, with the wheel sideways. 
Yeah, and it's pointing yeah. the other way around where the wheel, either you hold it vertically or you turn the wheel horizontal. Exactly. And I, exactly. he's like, no, 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 this is how it's done. I'm like, dude, I'm the knife maker. This is how it's done. He's like, well, you can't do it. And I go on and proceed drunk as shit as they're recording me. And I'm like, see, this is hard. I'm like, this is easy. In my head, I'm like, oh, it's a little hard. But like, it, it looked good on camera with the way my hands were moving. So I'm like, I'm trying to play this off. And I kept looking it at it. Totally fine. And it looked like shit at first. And I said, I'm like, no, this looks pretty good. In my head, I'm like, fuck, this looks good. I can't believe it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Camera, it looks great. I'm like, well, I guess I did it. I drove the hold of it, put a ring on it. I'm like, here's a souvenir. And I, think I, <laughs> I think I engraved. Uh, hold my beer. I'm gonna get this shit done or some shit on it. He has it somewhere. I think that That's was brilliant. maybe for the Kentucky show. It was either Kentucky or New York knife show. I don't remember, but you have it somewhere. It's dated. I actually, just found did you it. make a knife out of it? Nah. No, no. <laughs> no yeah. shit. It's, it's it chisel line. ground. It's chisel ground. So yeah, I, I just made one side just to show him I could do it. Yeah. 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 It was no, a quick, weird. like, on video, like, if I'm like, oh, I'm like, okay, if I'm talking shit, I got to at least show that I could yeah. do it. And for my first attempt, it was pretty good. I did it on the six-inch wheel horizontally. It's a it's a fun it's a fun blade design. I, I am a huge fan of the Chris. I had Chuck make me a Chris fixed blade. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I dig I dig the Chris. I even did it without a fixture, and I fixed your grind. I was supposed to see, they don't get how amazing, even more amazing that is. But I don't know how you grind, but like that's even more amazing because I've been grinding on a fixture for seven years. Uh, it's been a while since I freehand. It's been a while since I freehand ground. No, when it, when I first thought about grinding a uh, like a bolly blade or anything, uh, Chris, I I don't know, years ago I probably talked to Alan about it because I know he grant he hand ground one years ago, and he's like, yeah, it's it was vertical on a two inch, and then. It, and then I talked to everybody that ever did it, and it was like vertical on a two inch. Um, but yeah, it doesn't I, look I, as wavy. Uh, if it, like he, the one he showed me wasn't done the way I like we described it. It was done on a platen on the corner of the platen. Uh, yeah. And it doesn't look as wavy. Yeah, if you go with a two inch and go vertical, you can get like a tight wave. And if you guys want to even go just a bit deeper here for the pod, this would be great for the podcast. Um, you're talking about Chris, so Chris, so the the really quintessential Chris come from Indonesia, right? And it's indicative of, of Silat. And so the Chris blade in, in Indonesia is, uh, it's, um, it's a rite of passage blade for, a, a a male, like adult male in Indonesia. And you are, uh, if you receive a Chris, that's a sign of manhood, I guess, or whatever. And, uh, a Chris is a very important symbolic blade in Indonesia what everything about indo and then indonesian martial arts and so <clears throat> it's a very uh, indonesia really superstitious and interesting place um and then chris are wrapped up in all the the superstition and interesting uh, indonesia has an interesting mix of animism and a little bit of buddhism uh and whatever mix of i don't know crazy austronesian shit that's gone through indo if you ever know anybody that does a lot a lot or is really obsessed with um Indonesian stuff, uh, especially in the martial arts, they can talk about it. So uh, Chris is a lot of, I don't know, mojo, <laughs> voodoo behind a Chris, right? And so it, it becomes real important with a Chris, like how many curves it has and and how it's made and who made it and all this mysticism. And I'm going to tell you a funny Chris story. So 
uh, one of the first big time Indonesian martial artists that made his way in the United States to start teaching people was a guy named Herman Sawanda, and he was a part of the uh, it's called the Mandi Muda system, and <clears throat> Herman. Uh, I had a connection with him and those guys because uh, one of the first guys in the United States to connect with Silat practitioner, uh, Herman, was a dude from my school here in Dallas, as well as a dude in Tulsa. I can't remember his name right now off the top of my head. But so Herman comes over, and, and there's some guys in my like Jikundo uh, Jinfan mix school started to get really interested in Silat. And so Herman comes over. And so instantly, people are talking about Chris and stuff like that, and Indonesian blades and whatnot. And somehow, I don't know, like two or th three years after this started, then we've got this little group of people here that are doing Indonesian uh, pinjak silat. And, and we go to eat uh, dinner at the Thai restaurant down the street from the school. And, and then somebody in the table, uh, we had like 17 people at the table, and then somebody had been given or gifted a Chris uh, blade of traditional Javanese Chris uh, and and then they say here Herman would you please inspect this Chris to tell me if it's a good Chris or a bad Chris or whatever it has bad mojo good mojo I swear to God we're sitting at the table eating dinner and and, her, and, and he he looks at it and he's like uh, and he I swear to God, he takes it close to his head and he counts the curves and then he and then the last part of it is he smells it and he goes no this Chris is bad luck so they're, mm. No, I'm serious. They're really, it's it's a really, I don't know, voodoo, voodoo would be the closest thing I think. It's, if you ever looked into the mysticism of Indonesia, this is really what it's about. And he looks at it and goes, no, this is a bad Chris. And, I, and I'm sitting at the table and I'm, and I'm not into Javanese mysticism and I go, hey man, I'll take it. <laughs> hey, well, okay. you know. You, you don't so, want that. That's, uh, yeah, I know. So she, she gave it to me. She was like, here, church. Oh, this is bad luck. And here's the funny part of the story. So, so, so I take the Chris. And then, like, uh, I'm a young man at the time. I'm like, uh, I'm, uh, shit, I don't know, 22, 23 years old. I have, like, this run of bad luck for, like, two to three fucking, <laughs> two, three years. And at the end of it, I was so distraught. I mean, there was some really run of bad luck. I was so distraught. I took that goddamn knife and I threw it in the dumpster. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I swear to God. And <laughs> never to be heard from again because I was honestly at the, you know, if you've ever been at the end of your rope, you're like, I don't even know what this, you know, why is everything, you know, this is really bad luck, bad girlfriend, bad everything. And I was like, oh, fuck this shit. And I threw that knife away. That's that's my funny Chris story. I haven't told anybody that story in years. It just made me think of it when we were talking about Chris. You really fucked if somehow appeared back up in your life. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, God. You know what I did? I bent it in half and then threw it in the Ooh, dumpster. There you go. All right. That's that's the ultimate, like, nail in the coffin move. Like, it's not coming No, back. but, I mean, look, look, if, if I mean, you guys think about my thinking at the time. The, the the martial arts master from Indonesia says, no, this is a bad blade. It's very bad luck. Don't touch it. And I go, yeah, sure, I'll take it. Fuck that's, it. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Again, I'm like, ah, whatever, man. And then I took it and then I... After all these, you know, a couple of years of bad luck, I was like, shit, man, what if it's the knife? What if it's what that if it's goddamn the... knife? What if it's that goddamn <laughs> knife, man? Hey, I threw it away. I mean, sometimes you got to clear it out. You know, you look in the closet. And you're so like, so when you it. guys ask me, when anybody, now you guys get the full beef, uh, the full dish here on the on the podcast. <laughs> I've never ground a crisp plate. <laughs> that's, it's full circle. See that? Full circle. I swear to God, that's why, you know, juice isn't worth the squeeze, man. 
Wow. What if I grind it wrong and it's bad luck? I mean, well, you don't have to deal with it because it leaves your possession once you sell it. That's right. Say exactly. No, but I created it. I would still feel bad. You know, they they, they in the original Chris, they they're supposed to incorporate uh, components of meteorites uh, and whatnot into the blade, and that's a special uh, acid etch and all this kind of missus. I mean, and then the guy's got to like kiss it and it and the, the 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 smith who makes it is like lip imprint is on it and acid and stuff there's a lot of mysticism in a chris and and anyway after a little bit of run of bad luck i'll, I'll probably never make a chris is all hmm. i'm saying so we're left with the stink finger i mean that works if the, I, the stink finger it's very distinctive you know you can see it and you're like I, I know i know exactly where that came from um and so you're talking mm-hmm. about introducing um new blade styles that maybe we haven't seen yet yeah yeah okay and now are we gonna go are we doing traditional filipino weapons i mean is there a campbell in it uh, the, 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 no the latest one was uh super traditional japanese um and <clears throat> I'm, I'm certainly uh not the first maker who's tried to stuff a uh katana blade into a balisong but uh when I got this one I got going right now, I, 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 when I started designing it, and I, and I know other guys have done it uh, for sure, um, they'll straighten it out or put a clip in it, uh, maybe a clip point, um, to make it fit in the handles. And I can understand, you know, just drawing it out and looking at the way the handles are going to fit, I can understand the, the frustration. For, for me, is in addition to South east asian blades and stuff i'm really into japanese stuff too so for me uh, all japanese blades uh are the number one component to me is the what they call the sorry the the curve uh the japanese aesthetic to me is all about the curve uh just just for me personally so i wanted to get that curve into everything i make and and really that just single line that runs along the spine of the blade uh is the curve that actually makes it elegant and and obviously you got to get the grinds and stuff right too but that's kind of secondary to getting the whole design right um and so i wanted to do it without sacrificing you know without having to make a sacrifice to fit it in the handles and i've got a lot of failures here where the the tip is hitting the backspacers and stuff like that where you can't fit it inside the handles because the balasong is a straight concept right you know i mean the handles got to wrap around the blade yeah you know both you know when it's closed um, and so I tried to figure out some way to stuff all that curvature into the straight handles. Uh, when you do a balisong in an offset tip, um, and I do a couple designs that are offset tips, meaning the tip is not on the center, uh, it's tough to stuff it in the handles. So I, I hope I've kind of succeeded here lately with this newest blade design, which is just, I mean, absolutely traditional katana shape it's not even a traditional japanese tanto shape japanese super traditional japanese tanto is a very straight uh blade that's actually quite boring looking uh yeah if you really want to get into a traditional tanto if you're into you know nihanto yeah. if, you're, if you're into that kind of thing <clears throat> yeah yeah i mean the the, the tantos aren't profile wise they aren't terribly interesting mm-hmm. but when you get into the longer blades the this the curve that gives it what it's looking for so i'm trying to get the grinds uh, I feel attacked here. <laughs> <laughs> the grinds the curve and then the uh and stuff it all into a, a handle that can close around it without without clipping it um without making it straight right 
because that uh, okay so that that katana uh, blade you do uh, that's the one i've seen with the leather wrapped handles that that exactly. gets that treatment right? that was the idea that's the that was the original concept idea that one in the uh, and the other the the other zakuri was like an it's a bit of a modification off of a of a taunt a japanese tanto blade called an unokubi zakuri tanto which is uh what the fuck it's a bird um unokubi is a it's a cormorant actually <laughs> now we're getting really deep here but uh it's a bird neck tanto blade and so that was the the inspiration for the zakuri that's straight so that's a tanto blade but i really wanted to get something that was more like a sword uh and that's essentially gonna that's gonna be my sixth blade shape and that's the one that i'm pushing out right now and and then it it meshes with the the sukamaki wrapped handle and then i'm doing them with hamon in rare cases when i really want to punish myself <laughs> there you go you just dive in there man just get just go for it <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So the idea was, uh, you know, I uh, being background in martial arts, and then the idea being that you know it's it's really great if every man can own a sword um, and carry it. Uh, we can't do that in this modern age right now, obviously. So I was like, shit, man. What if I can make a Bali song that's like being able to carry your own katana? Not that it's really applicable to carry, but I just could I could I mimic the you know uh, carrying a, a a real japanese sword in in the size of a balisong and a balisong was actually a good medium to do it better than a folder right because uh it's straight handles uh and the way that the handles articulate you could probably figure it out and that was the genesis of that project and then the idea was to get it with a sukamaki wrapped handle um in some fashion with super tiny leather you know obviously you couldn't do it with regular silk ito and make it into a knife and then actually do w2 uh real differential heat treated hamon clay tempered everything and that's what i've shot for on that project and that's that's not the thrust of my main production obviously because it's a nightmare but uh i try and do it when i can and it's it's the thing that i'm most excited about doing because of the uh you don't know if you're going to fail every time you do it i mean you when you do the <clears throat> if you do hum on and clay temper okay the bigger the blade the, the easier it is i mean if you did you know every guy's doing hum on stuff now it's usually like bowie knife like size um the thicker the steel and the bigger the knife the easier it is the smaller you get the more difficult it gets because uh you're tr essentially when you do hum on you're trying to you're trying to screw up the heat treat perfectly. And what that means is <laughs> you try and screw it up such that you only harden the edge and not the rest of it. Well, if you think about, uh, you know, the physics of it, uh, the thickness of the blade and the size of the blade, the heat travels through the blade uh, at a certain, you know, rate or whatever. If the, if it's a big blade, it's going to travel slower and a thicker blade is going to travel slower. But when you get down to a fucking balisong blade, it's like four inches, man. <laughs> right? It's four inches, and it's a one. It's a one fifty-six thickness. So, so we're looking at a, you know, one five-six cross section with a four-inch blade. There's not a lot of wiggle room in terms of where that hamon line is going to go. Mm. And that's where we're at with that project. 
Yeah, there, there you go. Don't okay. don't look for a lot of them to be produced. <laughs> is all I have to say. And that's you mm. know that's that's another thing. So you do a lot a lot of these ballets that you do. These are um, these are short run pieces. <coughs> I mean, you have yeah. you have blade styles you like, but I do know just from from talking in and, and obviously dealing in them that uh, certain things you do, like you did the sharks for a while yeah 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 oh shit i need like, to do more of those like, those are great yeah. stuff like that you'll you'll just do it in short runs very specific and i i also like yeah. that because then it's like it's a blade shape we're familiar with and a dress that we're not and it's like yeah. and like the stink finger i know you only do those like that is not a regular blade i mean it is a regular no blade no i'll do like uh, i'll do like you, a dozen a year right. maybe or some years i may not do them at all i may do 20 a year yeah, for yeah. Sure. so i mean that's that's also like a fun I know that collectors like that, and it's just it's it brings a scarcity into it. So you you do feel For like sure. that, that knife is even more special. It's like oh, there's only a couple of these this year. If you're collecting yeah. those or if you're using them, whatever, like better try to get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The sharks were really neat. Actually, that was a that was a great. I need to. Uh, I honestly cool need play. to bring that back in uh, 2021. I think we'll be. I think I may have to go back to that. Yeah. You yeah, know what was funny are. about the sharks was then then all these guys like oh my god it's chisel. <laughs> Whatever. And I'm like, hey man, look, you know that's the thrust of the design is, it, it, you know, it's ground on one, it's deep ground on one side. So I mean, I did. It's not like I didn't shortchange this. It's like, if I'm under <laughs> a chisel, the 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 cool thing about doing a chisel in whatever thickness you're going to do it is you can do a deeper grind, right? So you yeah. get that nice deep, just you know, light reflective, cool grind on one side, and then it's flat on the other side. And it makes a statement. It's got a shark on it, or you either know, did the happy crazy shark, or I did the the old P40 Warhawk design on whatever. Um, that was the thrust of the design, you know. And yeah. then those guys like, oh my god, it's chisel. <laughs> Come on, man. Because you were you were going to take that ballet song and do so much cutting with it. Absolutely. Right, right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and, uh, totally off topic, but I mean, it, same thing with the handles. When I did the the Voltron handle. The, um, those are bad. I had the, that was great. I had the idea that I was like, "What if? What if I could figure out how to machine a handle that looked like it was bolstered, but it was a one-piece titanium handle, and I could get the grippiness that my old uh, fixed blade customers used to love when I used to get some kind of grippy handle because they wanted something they could hold on to. Because uh, um, this was a different set of customers, but I was like, "What if I could get a grippy handle and then make this?" you know just machine this faux bolster into a poly song and somebody once asked me like oh, i bought this voltron and the handle's so grippy could you replace the handles i'm like <laughs> look man that's exactly that's a- the reason that design exists you know i mean everything is purpose-driven like uh the first handle just a normal body stone handle rounded nine hole handle is rounded and then they're like okay i'll make a boxy handle that was the archon and then you know and then sometimes you get guys saying oh if we could round the archon handles i'm like that's we have products for every one of these yeah right needs. you know we can't just you know, don't don't buy a voltron and say it's too grippy and then it was the whole thrust of the design was grippy it was meant to be grippy and the guys that like it they're like wow this is the grippiest you know body stone i've ever held yeah. That was the idea. That if you want to change the handle, you should just buy a different model. Just bought a different one of the other <laughs> models that absolutely covers what you're looking for. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like I really like this blade and this handle. I just wish they were different. Like, well, that's mm. a different knife, friend. Like, yeah. yeah much I, less. Used to, I used to I used to get those all the time. Like, I love everything about your knife except can you do this, this, that, and that? And can it be an inch longer? And like, 
well, I'm not the maker for you. Yeah. yeah. Just, or maybe you should have bought the other knife. Yeah, right. Just buy the small one. Because you really bought the, 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 the custom short run one, and you probably should have just bought the normal one. It's yeah. people, people, it's, uh, collectors get particularly, uh, particularly picky. That's okay, though. We love them. But yeah, I jumped in the Balisan market at that time because I saw that that was the best way I was going to, if I was going to go full-blown CNC and do it. Um, yeah. The first year I went to the Blade Show, I was the only major Balisan maker that showed up at the show um, at all. So I could tell that there was a little, uh, there was a room there in the market right? Um, for somebody to jump in as opposed to folders, right? Because, you know, folders is tough. Um so I decided to go into that, and it's just kind of blossomed. I've enjoyed, uh, uh, you know, I just kind of found my niche, I guess. You know? I mean, it's it's a good it's a good niche. I mean, there's there's more people doing it now, but it, uh, uh, you oh know, a god, lot, Man, just like so switchblades, though. Like, even if there's more, there's nowhere near the amount that there are folders. Like, no, there's, no, there's, there's not. Still, you know, it's, <laughs> and it's, I think. Uh, you know, and I've had these conversations with my other knife maker buddies, the guys I told you about. They'll eventually fall off, uh, just in terms of Bali songs, right? Just because there was a hole there, and everybody tries to fill it real quick, and and and, and honestly, from from one year to the next, and, and the once again, show, I feel attacked. <laughs> there, there, there went from there being so many guys, uh, nobody doing Bali songs, and then and then the next, you know, two years later, there's. 30 to 40 more guys at the show with Bali songs. Right. Yeah, I'll just wait. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's all I have to say. Yeah, there you, that works. You know, slots and dots, man. Slots and dots. That works. Yeah, there's always, there's always, um, there's an ask for every seat, right? Kind of thing. Exactly. Like there, there's exactly. a knife for every customer. And, uh, and, you know, guys who collect Bali songs, it's just that's the one thing they collect or, or the flippers that, you know, that's the one thing that they, that they like. Right. So I mean, well, that's that's an interesting know. market, isn't it? It's different. I mean, it's definitely. It is, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's 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 a str- it's a strong market <coughs> in some cases, and right. it's misunderstood in other ways, and it's sure it's very it's very weird. Yes, yep, it is mm-hmm. very weird. I agree. Yeah, like I I definitely remember having a conversation with somebody <laughs> actually about the knife a couple years ago that I asked Alan for, which was a ballet song. And he executed it amazingly, just like as was that the Chris? Yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah no. And I, I saw that. I saw that on Instagram one. or Alan's page or whatever. Yeah. Of course. And it he, was he, he nails was, it as always. Yeah. That was so. Fu- and I just remember like talking to somebody about that, and they were just like, "Yeah, but like, how am I going to do like like aerials and like whatever with it?" And I'm yeah. like, I'm like. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. <laughs> Technically, you probably could. Honestly, I just don't right. think that's the knife to do it with. Like, it's, <laughs> that's you know, it's more yeah. of a it's you know it's more of a especially Alan like, making work. it by hand on a pantograph, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, also like the handles on that thing were just wild. I mean, they were right. they were tapered. I mean, but I was just like, yeah, man, like that's not the knife for you to flip. Like, you know, right. that's right. not what that's targeted. That's targeted towards a. It's an interesting market because you get you get a mix of uh, you get this. It really is a strange mix because you get. I can say this because when I started, we go back to the history of just what we talked about in this podcast. I started making knives for martial artists, and then 
that blossomed into law enforcement and military. So back in the in the in the great days of knife making for military, I, I got the, the tail end of that. So I was making. I had a I had a cousin who was in a hundred first airborne and deploying all the time, and I was selling knives to guys that were going overseas all the time. And you got this military type dudes, and then I had martial arts type dudes, and then I sold all that and sold that, and the war started you know slowing down, and they started drawing in the troops. And okay, the market shifting, market shifting. So it's just it's, it shifted from guys who are literally carrying, who would send me pictures of the, them carrying. You know, these are the real old days. You know, fixed blades. They're the sending pictures of them carrying the knives in Iraq and Afghanistan. Now I got kids going like, uh, you know, this this knife doesn't slip when I play with it. And I'm in Orange uh, County. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, like a, no, this whole transition of, and I'm not saying. It's like, you know, either one of them is bad or good. Sure, I'm just saying right. that the the transition is intense. Yeah, it's and intense. I, I yeah, it. and I yeah. Wanna, what I was trying to do it too. I made a couple, and like the clientele was different, and the messages mm-hmm. I got were different. I told Jeremiah, mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't think I want to do this to deal with these customer this customer base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I totally understand what you're saying, and I've talked about this with other uh, the aforementioned other knife makers who are friends of mine. Um, so I'm not saying either one is bad or good, but if you go from guys like this to guy to kids who are going like, oh, you know, I really, how, you know, how do I do aerials with this knife? You're like, all right, uh, I understand there's a different need in this customer base. Yeah, to, it's right. It's, to, you know, it's not good or bad. It's just it's just a different knife. It's like right there's So there's there's knives for this and there's knives for this, and then it's you know. There's different knives. Like, I wanted to ask you because you had mentioned this earlier, and I thought I remembered the answer to it, but I wanted to confirm with myself and on 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 the cast. Um, the art on the shirt that I have from you with the ballet songs and a sort of skeleton-like creature is that is that art from Ken, your friend, when you when you were saying artist earlier. <laughs> I totally yeah, no that's a cool story actually uh no so the art um Ken uh, the original artist that I was talking about who was my buddy was instrumental in creating uh, a couple of the blade shapes and a, and the original design for my logo the two Bs um and then I modified it but the the artwork you're talking about uh is from a a guy named um Paul Pippin, his artist's name is Moz Chops, and he did a a graphic novel that was serialized in Heavy Metal Magazine, I think in a, a couple of years ago. Um, and he's a guy I've known uh, for since 2005. I met him in Cambodia. Right, we really cool friendship is, is I I was traveling the world and I met him in Cambodia. And then uh, we both realized that we wanted to expat and live in Southeast Asia. And uh, we've been friends ever since. And he uh, he put out a graphic novel, really cool uh, book that was, shit, it's hard to describe. It's, it's really, it's about insects, honestly. Uh, 
and anyway, he did the artwork for me, and now he's doing. Uh, he had a serialized piece in heavy metal, and then I I convinced him to pay him a little bit of money, and he would do the artwork for that shirt. So that's awesome. And anybody that's in heavy metal is totally yep. That's like no, he, he had a serialized like, thing. It was really cool, I mean, especially for a guy who just decided to move to Cambodia. And... Hmm. That's that's pretty gnarly. If uh. Uh, I don't know if he's a, he's a really brilliantly talented uh, graphic artist, and now yeah. he works back. He he had done a lot of three uh, D environments for video games and stuff before he decided oh, he wanted to drop right. out of Western society. Fuck it. <laughs> Just and, it. and we both kind of dropped out of Western society for a while. Then he had to come back, but geez, I mean, he's just like a really talented artist. And I have actually contacted him, tried to get him to do another t-shirt for me. He's like, oh, shit, man, I'm too busy. <laughs> oh, bummer. You know, All you, right. you know, I, you know I, can, I can pay him a certain amount of money to do a t-shirt, but he's like, no, I'm doing TV shows. And he's, he's actually in three environments for, like, really TV shows. I mean, wow. he's, he's a really talented dude. Just I, a brilliant artist. I will totally post when we put up the episode. I'll post a picture of the of the shirt because I don't I don't know how much I've seen it on your Instagram, but it's 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 beautifully visceral. It's a nice yeah. it's a nice He's adjunct a really good artist. piece of he, art to the knives. I, I, I he, did, he he did that he did that logo for my t shirt, and then luckily I got him to do the logo for my gym too. Oh, nice. Um, before he went back to England, so he he's he, he he's an English guy, and. Uh, yeah, he was like me. He was a little bit tired of Western life, and he wanted to move to Asia. And he moved over, and he went far deeper than I did. In meaning, he you know he got a wife and he's got kids uh, that are Cambodian and stuff. And he's a really neat guy. He's a really brilliant guy. Uh, and just uh, a really good soul. Always you know trying to do the right thing, uh, and and be an artist at the same time. I mean, it's crazy. You know. It's, and I wish him nothing but the best. He's a really cool dude, and and luckily I could catch him in times when he needed money. Hey, Paul, do me some do me some artwork. Do me some, dude. He did <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, uh, give some money, do me the artwork. Now, now he's like, man, I don't even have time. You know, I'm working full time. You know, trying to support my daughters and my wife and stuff like that. He lives back in uh, I think it was Manchester. I think I can remember where he lives now. But shit, great guy, really brilliant artist. I've been lucky to be, have been uh, just met guys and friends who are, are really, really uh, creative, just great artists. Um, my my first buddy Ken, who did blade some blade shapes, and he also did my my logo. And then uh, Paul, who who did a little bit of artwork for me, either for my gym or or for the brand there. I think I tried to get him to do another piece of artwork for me for six months ago, and he's like, "Oh shit, man, I'm really too busy." Yeah, that 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 image is uh it's very striking. It totally should be. You know what's crazy is I just more I didn't even I didn't even dictate it. I just was like, hey Paul. I didn't even know how to explain the Balisang market. <laughs> I was like, look, I got this is my knife, and this is kind of what the market I'm shooting for. Just go crazy, and I don't know why I just came out with something. Oh man, it it works, man. It's uh, it's 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 great. It's very 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 cool piece of art to attach to a. To a knife brand, and certainly, obviously, uh, of someone who makes ballet songs, it's 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 dope. Um, so you're doing the ballet songs, you're doing the fixed blades. I see, and you're also making yeah, yeah. 
so you're in fixed blades i really mean swords short swords and yeah, yeah and somewhere in between like ed not really edc fixed blades but in that sort of size category yeah i've got edc i i kind of paused on the edc flick blades because um volley songs are going that's what's going for us right now so uh yeah i i've honestly got i spent almost six months developing folders too and i'm still kind of sitting on those i saw a little bit of tease of that in your instagram yeah yeah i teased a bit of it um because i and again that is that's going through an organic market of my connections uh meaning um i started in the fixed place exactly the, I mean, it's exactly kind of the same group of guys that were buying the fixed blades um i obviously anybody who makes knives is trying to bust into folders and i've again using martial arts ties tying into how i'm gonna sell some uh, some folders Mm. Uh, yeah so you and you have okay so you have a whole batch of bally songs that is it will be dropping um Mm -hmm. with the hq pretty soon like within the next week or so well yeah yeah we're shipping them out this week and then as soon as they get them online they'll get them online okay yeah catalog and that includes that includes inlay stuff and uh kind of standard model stuff and then i'm kind of sitting on a lot of the high-end crazy stuff waiting for the next one i think i think we've reached a a good point for tonight um that being said brian so we're looking for you at blade show 2021 would be your first show of the season then yeah of that season yeah of the of the of the the upcoming of the upcoming fingers crossed uh craziness yeah yeah um, you know. exactly fingers crossed hope, hope to you see know, that i'll be in the back. same the same place right in the back of the hall with all the japanese guys nice um they have all the sake we'll have to uh, okay we'll have to uh i know that once in a while you partake in a cigar we'll have to all uh we'll have to yeah. all go down there and and uh get the proper ring gauge and 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 have a have a smoke at uh at blade show which would be which would be cool yeah. Because it, it's going to be a double blade show, as we all missed out on this one. So it's going to be a crazy one coming up. Um, but it should be fun. Uh, yeah. I I think uh, I think it'll be good. I I want to uh, I want to extend the the gratitude of the of the podcast to you and say hey I thank you so much for for coming on and talking with us tonight and talking to us about ballet hey. songs and martial arts and apparently just going to Thailand because. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I guess I should just go to Thailand, apparently. So I'll okay. go with you. Yeah, fuck no. it. Let's just go to Thailand. Like, I don't... Okay. Hey, uh, when you guys are ready to go, just if you can coordinate with me, I, I'm the best tour guide ever. Fuck I will yeah. do that. Fuck yeah. You'd like, exactly Absolutely. do that. I'll do both. I've, take, yeah. I've taken a lot of people over for the first time, and they really just follow me around. That's awesome. All right, All yeah, right. We'll, we'll fucking do it, man. That'd be a that'd be a blast. Yeah, that's home to me. So I I make a I read, write, and speak, and Jesus, we have so much fun when we go. Fuck yeah! And go to a bunch of fights, eat a bunch of great food, enjoy the laid back atmosphere. I I actually planned my entire run of knives for an entire year in Thailand. That's my plan for the rest of my life. Oh, all right. 
that's probably it's not a bad plan actually no no go over go over the first part of the year uh sit with my computer and and cat out all the uh, everything that needs to be cut and made for the entire year and everything that's made is already planned make it for a year go back and do it again next year bada boom all right boom exactly well cheers guys shit man we're looking forward to it um sure looking forward to seeing you guys yeah maybe come out to vegas and see you guys before then absolutely right let's do it i want to uh i want to thank everybody so much for for listening tonight another episode of uh the bladeology podcast episode 42 um stay tuned for more awesomeness this has been the vocal representation of jeremiah burbank from pvk vegas nick chuprin of ncc knives <laughs> and brian bigler killer all right thanks everybody 